does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Happy Thursday to you on the Fan Midday Show. Dive right into it. Latest at Colts camp. This is from Joel A. Erickson. DeForest Buckner dealing with a foot injury. That per Shane Steichen. About two hours or so ago, DeForest Buckner. Again, this per Joel A. Erickson of the Indy Star. Came up limping after a play. Left on his own pounder with a trainer. And then Shane Steichen, about an hour or so ago, spoke to the media and shared that DeForest Buckner is dealing with a foot injury. So obviously, if we get any more details on that, we will let you know. You hope that's not something too serious. You've seen a number of star players, as is often the case, it's just the unfortunate aspect of getting back out there and getting your bodies reacclimated to life in the NFL. You see these early injuries crop up. You've seen it with Joe Burrow. You see it now here with DeForest Buckner, a number of other examples as well. Again, hopefully for DeForest, it's nothing too serious. But if we have any more on that, we will update you as the show goes on. And in fact, we'll be joined a little bit later in today's program in regards to our Colts camp conversation with George Bremer. He is the Colts beat writer and sports editor for the Herald Bulletin. George has been a reoccurring guest on our show. We'll continue to have conversation with George and the likes of the Colts beat writers across the way as camp continues. But George will give us his firsthand accounts on those comments by Shane Steichen. And if we have any updates on the DeForest Buckner injury front, we will give them to you as they come across. The other big nugget out of Colts camp, and this is a larger piece to a conversation on contract extensions across the board, and no, not the one that you are thinking of, but it's been a piece of our conversations here on The Fan. And there's another contract extension for a different Colts player that is on a final year of a rookie contract. No, there's been no deal agreed to yet, but Michael Pittman Jr. also spoke to the media today was asked about potential contract extensions. This from the fans' own Kevin Bowen at KBowen1070 on Twitter. Michael Pittman Jr. on if he expects to play this season without a contract extension. Quote, do I expect it? I don't really expect anything. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, then yeah, I would play without an extension. And he was asked later on if he wants an extension. I think every player wants to get paid. I wouldn't mind one. Close quote. That's where Pittman Jr.'s mindset here is, and I understand there's going to be a lot of back and forth between Colts fans on Jonathan Taylor, how this situation has been handed. The back and forth is already happening, but as you continue to see players that are in similar boats to Jonathan Taylor and how they handled the situation, it's easy to then point how Jonathan Taylor has handled this situation, how his agent has handled this situation, and maybe they'd be better off to play it like Michael Pittman Jr., I will give a caveat before we launch into this that I don't like the way Jonathan Taylor has gone about this process. I think he's getting horrific advice from his agent, who at least from all things we've heard to this point, appears to be in over his head and appears to be preparing for a UFC Dana White style weigh in anytime Jim Irsay tweets something on Twitter. And we have that iconic fight poster that is sure to come out at some point in time of the two gentlemen having their foreheads as close together as humanly possible. At least that's what it looks like anytime you see one of those interactions on Twitter from my perspective. 
But I say that because I don't condone the way that Jonathan Taylor has handled this. I don't condone the way Jim Irsay has handled this. We had a larger conversation earlier this week about did he need to tweet about the running back situation? How could he say he wasn't talking about Jonathan Taylor when he tweeted it? And again, I think that maybe one comment of stepping into the fray, probably too much, but I could buy one of them. It's been the multiple comments by Jim Irsay that have snowballed to this point where it appears in the span of just a couple of days, approaching a week now, relationships with Jonathan Taylor, his agent, and Colts owner Jim Irsay have gone south to a point that what's going to happen? Is he going to be there week one? Are they going to fold and go away from what they said where they said they will not trade and they don't plan on trading him now, October, or ever? Will they get too good of an offer? I, I doubt that. And we discussed that as well. You look at contenders that are around the league. I don't know that somebody's going to be willing to give the asking price that I think Colts fans think he's worth. And I think the bar that Jim Irsay should set for him is a first-round pick. He's not going to get that, but that should be the starting conversation for Jonathan Taylor where things stands right now. Christian McCaffrey didn't get that. I know he had a longer deal, but when he was traded from the Panthers to the 49ers, it was like a second rounder, a fourth or a fifth rounder, and a couple other picks there. But it was not a first round pick for a running back that, even though Jonathan Taylor was the most dominant back in 2021, Christian McCaffrey, I think a better overall back because he has the pass catching ability. You can argue with me if you want, as a traditional straight up and down runner, that Jonathan Taylor is better. I'll probably give you that, but in terms of the way they impact a game, Christian McCaffrey, with what he does and his skill set, valued more around the league. Alvin Kamara, clearly by the Saints, another player, valued more around the league. But when you look at Jonathan Taylor and the way he's handled things, just because you don't agree with it, doesn't mean we should then switch and look at how Michael Pittman Jr. has handled this, which has been picturesque, blueprint, if you are working in a PR spot for a player, or if you are working as an agent for a player, if you are trying to play things cool, let things play out, be, I guess, the model player in this situation, you would point to how Michael Pittman Jr. has addressed things, how he's taken this process, and tipped the cap to him. I would also remind you, though, that Michael Pittman Jr. is able to do that because he plays a position that is not currently being stiff-armed by the entire NFL. Michael Pittman Jr. will be taken care of. Let's play it out, and there's a world where the Colts... Let him go next offseason. I know that maybe that depends on how well he does this year. The critique against him has been he's not a number one wide receiver. He doesn't impact the game the same way the top end wide receivers do. Why would you pay him all that money? We'd pay him all that money because wide receivers that are in his range, and I mean in his range is in, let's say, wide receiver number one by name alone meaning he's number one on the depth chart of a team, but when you think of wide receiver ones, it doesn't go Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill, Michael Pittman Jr. That's not the list. He is by name alone at this point in time in his career because he's the top wide receiver position holder on the Colts' depth chart. That said, go look down the list of wide receivers around the National Football League, wide wide receiver twos, or... Wide receiver ones by name alone, not in that elite status, but towards like the top 20, top 25 range in the league. They get buku bucks around here. They get plenty of money around the National Football League. He will get taken care of. He could be not tagged by the Colts, be a free agent, and somebody would inevitably throw Christian Kirk-like money at Michael Pittman Jr. 
He knows that. He doesn't have to try to strong arm the front office because wide receivers in today's NFL are vastly more valuable. And from a contribution standpoint, you've seen it position by position. Teams put a premium more so on wide receivers, mainly because there has not been, at least in the last five seasons or so, a clear indicator from teams around the National Football League that you have to have a high-paid, we're talking 16, 17, $18 million running back to win a Super Bowl or to be in a spot where you want to try to contend for a Super Bowl. You can get by with a couple running backs making $6, 7000000 million, or maybe you're doing it on a rookie contract or a veteran that's making $1 or $2 million. You can get by with that. Look no further than last year's Super Bowl. Both Miles Sanders and the combination of Isaiah Pacheco and Derek McKinnon, you're looking at salaries of, I think I combined off the top of my head, like maybe $10 million. I think it was like $4 million last year for Sanders. I don't remember McKinnon's contract directly, but Pacheco was on a rookie deal. So you get my point. The league has shifted away from we need to have this high-paid running back position locked up, and it has to be a star. We can only win if the running back is a star. The league doesn't feel that way anymore. You've gathered that by this point if you've been paying attention to the way the NFL has operated the last three, four, five seasons. But why it comes back to Michael Pittman Jr. and Jonathan Taylor is, again, Michael Pittman Jr. does not have that same fear on his plate. He knows eventually he'll be taken care of, barring an injury or something that's out of his hands. Because he is a talented wide receiver in the NFL, at minimum, he is a team or he's a type of player where if you put Michael Pittman Jr. on a team like the Vikings or the Chiefs or the Bengals or the Bills, and I realize from a cap perspective, this might not work, but just follow the example for a second. Michael Pittman Jr. is not being asked to be a wide receiver one in those situations. He's asking to be a wide receiver two, maybe a wide receiver three with some of those groups. I'm willing to hear that with the Bengals. Sorry, we the most talented receiving core in the NFL. If he went to the Dolphins, again, these are just hypotheticals, but is he better than Jalen Waddell? Is he better than Tyreek Hill? I haven't seen it. I'm willing to give a pass as far as, well, look at the quarterbacks that he's had throwing to him. But the pushback against that is, look at an elite of elite wide receiver. He's not there anymore, but elite of elite wide receiver like DeAndre Hopkins. And look what he's played with his career. And he still has put up Canton-like numbers. Again, I understand that's a whole other debate, but you get what I'm saying. DeAndre Hopkins, cream of the crop, doesn't matter who's throwing to him. Michael Pittman Jr. has yet to take that big leap Colts fans want them to. I think he still can, but he plays a position where he doesn't have to go fight for his money right now. He doesn't need to step into a media scrum and throw a big fit about the situation and or through his agent or on Twitter or anything like that. He doesn't have to be cryptic with where things are at. Jonathan Taylor feels like he has to do that. And quite frankly, most running backs in the National Football League of his caliber feel like they have to do that in today's NFL. The bigger issue I have here, and I understand that you can't fully give Jonathan Taylor a pass here because he's an adult. He's 24 years old. He makes his own decisions. He chose who his next agent was going to be. Eddie mentioned it a little bit earlier in the week. We knew it at the time. There are reports that maybe Drew Rosenhaus might decide to represent Jonathan Taylor, and that would be the direction that he'd go with. But instead, 
He went a different direction. And he's represented by a group that is primarily known for representing MMA fighters. And there's nothing wrong with that. The sports agent industry is very vast. But you're going from somebody that knows how NFL negotiations, how the process works, to somebody that's never done it before. And people point to all the time, well, I don't know why the Colts just don't pay Jonathan Taylor. You give him a $13 million deal, maybe over three years, four years maybe even, and they get a deal done. I don't understand why they're not giving him that money. Because clearly, and this doesn't take myself or Eddie, there are brighter minds than the two of us to put pieces together here. Clearly, we're way past $13 million a year being the evaluation that Jonathan Taylor and Jonathan Taylor's agent feel that he's worth. There's been numbers thrown out there by a number of different supposed sources. We've talked about it on the show, though. $16 million maybe. I've seen a $20 million figure thrown out. Nothing has been officially reported on to the point that I'm confident to tell you this is what the number is right now for Jonathan Taylor. But it's not $13 million. If it was $13 million a year, that that's what Jonathan Taylor wanted at the table, or that's what his agent was telling him that he was worth at the negotiating table, this wouldn't be an issue. That would put him in line with right around what Derrick Henry made, which is about $12.5 million a year. I guess it could be, for the sake of argument, it could be a guaranteed money thing. A lot of players at that position are most worried about what if I get banged up and I'm injured and it comes to a point where I'm not able to collect on the contract that I was in agreement to by the team because of guaranteed money. So that could be a caveat to it. Maybe it is a $14, $15 million contract, but maybe Taylor and his agent want it fully guaranteed. Or maybe they want a high end of the contract be guaranteed. But it's not as cut and dry as, it's a $13 million contract, why don't they pay it? For Jonathan Taylor in his boat, the conversation that he wants to be worth $16 to $20 million for any team around the National Football League is a non-starter. I've seen rumors of teams that could maybe trade for him. But the reason no team would trade for him right now without actually sitting down and talking with him, aside from the fact that the Colts have said flatly, we're not trading him, is they don't want to give up high-level assets for what could turn out to be a one-year rental. Maybe the tag is utilized, but a one-year rental at, at where things are at right now. You can't give up, if you're a contender, a second and a third rounder and a fourth rounder for a guy that's maybe going to play for you for one season, and then you're bringing this baggage and drama to your team. I'm not saying Jonathan Taylor couldn't go to a contender, put it on the shelf for six months, and be a team player. He's still at camp right now. He's clearly, at minimum, shown that he is still with this group. He is still with his guys. He's not abandoned them and, and gone AWOL somewhere. He is still within the Colts complex. He is still there with his teammates. So I'm not saying it would be a full-scale distraction, but that's a hard pill to swallow if you're a team that would want to make an offer to the Colts, who again have said they're not going to trade him, and know that it's just a one-year rental. It's just not something that any franchise is going to take the leap for without it being a horrible value trade for the Colts, which is why they're not going to do it. Can you imagine the type of reaction, whether it was the phone lines here, whether it was on Twitter, whether it was 
the masses at Colts camp if they traded Jonathan Taylor for a fourth-round pick? There's a certain point where the value starts to taper off. On a lighter note with all this, Jonathan Taylor looks around and he sees that the offensive line has been taken care of. number of guys in the trenches have been taken care of. Why is it not my turn to be taken care of? Unfortunately for Jonathan Taylor, the argument for him where things are at is that maybe this is something that I need to really fight for and go out and contest as long as I can. And I've said this before, said it on Monday. As long as this is a fight that he takes with him through training camp, through the preseason, I can tolerate it. I think teammates can tolerate it. But this is a year where, and Eddie, correct me if I'm wrong on this, six and a half wins, the over-under for the Indianapolis Colts? Six and a half. This is not a year where they're contending for a Lombardi trophy. It's not a year where they're in the conversation, even as a dark horse, to win the AFC South. It's not on anybody's radar. It is a year that is solely focused on the development of Anthony Richardson, the development of the younger players on this Colts team, and an improved offensive line. Which, by the way, coming up a little bit later in the show, bottom of the 1 o'clock hour, Colts starting left tackle Bernard Ryman took some time with us. Had a great conversation with him. A special nugget, no pun intended, that we got with him through that conversation that I'm looking forward to. We had an opportunity, obviously, after Colts camp to have this conversation with him when it wrapped up today. So we'll play that at the bottom of the 1 o'clock hour. That's after our conversation with George Bremer. And then David Kaplan, ESPN 1000 in Chicago, going to take some time with us. We'll get an update on both where the Bears are at, the countdown to those joint practices with the Colts and Chicago. And then, quite frankly, there's been a lot of good baseball stories. We won't spend too much time on it, but the turnaround that the Cubs are on, unfortunately, the last couple of nights, the expense... I'm getting there. Let me apologize. I'm getting there. Unfortunately, at the expense of Eddie's Cincinnati Reds, has been rather remarkable. Um, There's some historical factors that occurred the last two nights that I want to dive into with Cap. Eddie's probably going to leave the room for that segment. Last night was just, oh my goodness. I thought I was watching a Little League team. It was just bad. I understand that there is a gap between my baseball fandom and your baseball fandom. And not just from a knowledge standpoint, by the way, if you've never talked to Eddie before, Eddie's incredibly knowledgeable on baseball. I really, particularly in the MLB, focus on big names and then my team. I don't dive in the way that Eddie does. But that said, Eddie's a diehard Reds fan. And I get it. There's a gap between our fandoms for me as a Yankees fan, but I'm not asking for everybody to feel bad for me. You can laugh at me if you want. That's totally <laughs> fine. It's accepted. Thank you, uh, it's not been a fun night after night after night of Yankees baseball turning it on. Good and win last night, though. It was a good win last night, but you sit down on the couch and you're like, oh, it's a two-run shot in the top of the first. This is a, another bad dream all over again. <laughs> they end up winning it. But my point is, you sit down, and I'm ready to watch the Yanks, and it's not a good feeling. It's an expectation they're going to get their teeth kicked in because they're not a good baseball team. For you and Reds fans that are listening across the board, it has been a time of, wow, this is the best Reds baseball I've seen in about a decade. 
this is an opportunity for legitimate playoff push. Let's enjoy this. Let's sit down. But for the last two nights, I think it's just two nights. I'm not saying that to be funny. I legitimately think it's the last two nights. It has been horrifically bad to the point that I assume last night when you sat down, you, like me, put on a face of optimism of, okay, we wash the performance from Tuesday night is what it is. Go back out there and and hopefully it's a better performance. And then it is drastically not, in fact, almost as bad. Well, it started out promising. Uh, they were leading 2-0. Uh, Joey Votto doing Joe, Joey Votto things, banging two home runs. Uh, the Reds were up, I think, 5-2. to two, And then the wheels just fell off. It was just um, like routine fly balls not being caught. Three errors in one inning, not being able to field, throwing overthrowing Joey Votto by like twelve feet. Like Nixon Zelt was fielded the ball at third, and this ball, like Joey, didn't even try to jump. It was just that far over his reach, and it, it hits the net in the air over the dugout. It was just, it was just catastrophic last night. <laughs> I want to share one other nugget with you because you weren't in here yesterday. Oh, and by the way... I did not bet on them, just to clarify. So okay. I had nothing to do with that. I did bet the night before. You have that whole thing about how my yeah, bets yeah, somehow yeah. have a uh, mythological impact on the way the Reds play. Did, I need to go back and pull the tape, but I think th- I still think they do. Because okay. you have a you have a history of betting the Reds, and then, they, and then they lose. But Luke Maley has now pitched the last two nights for the Reds. Is he available tonight? <laughs> <laughs> Is he even available to catch, Jimmy? These are the questions Reds fans are asking right now. Do they already have lined up which position player is going to be on the mound tonight, or is that is that too soon to to start speculating? Let's that? Uh, let's start let's start okay. diving into that. Let me see. <laughs> Eddie will look on that in just a second. Again, for those of you just joining us, we don't have an update to this point on DeForest Buckner. We'd referenced that that was per Joel a. Erickson a foot injury. Per Joel a. Erickson's reporting given by Shane Steichen to the media today, came up limping after a play up at Grand Park, left under his own power with a trainer, but again, it's sided with a foot injury. And he did not, uh, this from George Bremer, who's going to be on the show a little bit later, he did not participate in team drills when they resumed. I thought you were going to jump back on. I thought you had a joke about position players. No, you didn't? Okay, it's all right. Other aspect of it, again, contract negotiations galore. Jonathan Taylor on the outside looking in with this, trying to fight for what he thinks is his. It's been surprisingly quiet at least from a active tweeting standpoint. Oh yeah. From Jim Irsay so far, <laughs> which I would argue is a positive at this point. However, there is one aspect of Jim Irsay's name back in the news today. Did he invest in Taylor Swift tickets already? <laughs> you know, is that what is that is that what's happening right now? Three shows, November 1st, 2nd and 3rd. Is it here? Luxo Stadium. Okay. That explains why in my group chat, my wife and my sister-in-law are talking about becoming uh, verified fans and and trying to get tickets to the show. Our very own Mark Dykton tweeted a screenshot of him being a verified fan on Ticketmaster about 20 minutes or so ago. Well, I have not. Let's see. For those that think no one cares about this, no updates on the uh, Cook family group chat. Um, So we'll have to take an update there, Eddie. We'll give you an update a little later in the show. Are you a Swifty? I don't mind Taylor Swift. But you wouldn't consider yourself a Swift. I would not label myself okay. a Swifty. What about no. the missus? Die Hard. Oh, sorry for your pocketbook. Well, we'll get into that a little bit later. <laughs> 
but you got to get there first, Eddie. You got to wait in line. You got to fight for these tickets. Hopefully it doesn't crash. Almost as aggressively. Amen to that. It's to stay afloat, Ticketmaster. The last thing I need on my plate is a conversation about our internet not being sufficient enough to get Taylor Swift tickets. That's a, that's a whole other thing I don't want to deal with. But as Eddie mentioned, Swifties fighting for Taylor Swift tickets in the same way, if not more aggressively so, than Jonathan Taylor and his agent are fighting for a contract extension. When we come back, we mentioned Jim Irsay has found a way to stay out of the news in terms of questionable comments about his running back, but a fishy development at West 56th Street. We'll talk about that when we return on the Fan Midday Show. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison behind the ones and twos. Come sail away, Jimmy. Got to. Come sail away with me, Eddie. We mentioned that Jim Irsay is back in the news. And on the front end of things, anytime that somebody wants to help out a cause from a philanthropic nature, you appreciate it. You would think that if you have billions of dollars, that your play is going to be to have a positive impact on the world at large. The punchline to this, though, is that if the amount of money you're going to spend... (laughs) is rather close to the dollar amount that your reported star running back wants in negotiations, it makes you think that maybe if Jonathan Taylor, you know, had the build of an orca, he might be worth $20 million. I say that because Jim Irsay, and this is not fully new, this is not fully recent news or like just breaking news today. Because he had a conversation on the Pat McAfee show a couple weeks ago about this very topic. But Jim Irsay has joined a collective and funded $20 million to fly a four-ton whale, this is the New York Post headline, to freedom after 53 years at Miami's Aquarium. The whale's name is Lolita. Has been there again 53 years. The goal is to return her to her original home in the Pacific Ocean. The thought is that that could come to fruition within the next 18 months. Again, this is according to reports from the New York Post. The process of getting this whale, by the way, from Miami to Washington is fascinating. It can be loaded into a glass tank at the Miami Aquarium by a harness. The 21-foot whale will then be loaded into a large cargo plane, flown 2,700 miles to the airport in Seattle, And then from there, we put on a truck and released near the San Juan Islands, according to the paper. Now, to clarify this, this is not a recent movement to move this whale. By multiple stories on this movement to get Lolita released, the conditions in the Miami Aquarium over the years have been viewed as wildly inhumane, just Truly terrible things that you hear about with animal abuse and neglect and all of that. And the thought again in this story is that perhaps she can be reunited with her family. The thought is that, again, the the groups that have tracked this, that her siblings and her mother, who is now listed as 97 years old, called Ocean Sun, continues to swim with their clan in what is known as an L-Pod. So the goal is a happy ending 
for the orca whale. A happy ending, huh? And when I look around at myself, I'm a softie for a good animal story. My TikTok feed outside of NFL news and Epic Sports highlights is stuff like this. So I'm happy for Lolita. And I think it's a good thing because it's been decades in the making. Not just Jim Ursay, a number of people, Lindsay Lohan, Harrison Ford, other celebrities have worked to get this release to happen. So very exciting all around. But I'm also a big optics guy. Optics <laughs> matter a lot to me. I, I am very careful in a lot of what I do. And call me crazy. You're crazy. Thank you. I wasn't going to do it that time. I, I, I wanted you to, though, and I appreciate you for doing it. But a $20 million You're psycho, Jimmy. expenditure and the quote... I've got the money. Let's move her, which was given on the Pat McAfee show last month. It is is great. Like, it it is. It's great that he has the money to do that. But he doesn't have the money to pay his running back. He doesn't have the money to give an extension to the biggest offensive weapon on this roster. Well, Well, actually, no, I, I. you want to do it or you want me to? He did. <laughs> You're right. $20 million a year at left guard. He, he did. You're correct. Shout out, by the way, Greg Rigstraw was in here yesterday, and he made the joke like a lot of people have about how Twitter, is it now X or what do you call it? I stand by it. It's still Twitter.com. The F? That's a new one. I haven't heard that one. <laughs> but but it, it, it's like... The F. Whatever we're calling <laughs> whatever, it. Whatever you want to call it. Whatever, whatever you want to call it. But it's still Twitter for me. So shout out... To Nathan on Twitter, at Curious underscore Colt. This app is still free, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Elon Musk can do all that he wants, but the app itself is still a free commodity. And Nathan went on Twitter about an hour and a half ago and tweeted a screenshot of the Colt salary cap page. It's a revised look at the top 2023 cap hits for the Indianapolis Colts. Now, Coming in on top of this list, Shaq Leonard. Great to have him back out there. $19 million cap hit. Critical part of that defense. Braden Smith, $19 million for the 27-year-old. Need that offensive line to take another step forward, but hey, good to have him there. DeForest Buckner, $17 million. But then an interesting addition to (laughs) to this cap chart. A recent signing that must have gone by the wayside with all the Jonathan Taylor news and Michael Pittman Jr.'s comments about a contract extension, but the offensive line might be fixed because the offensive guard out of the University of Miami, the 57-year-old journeyman, Free Willie Jr., $15.5 million per year. Nathan, I applaud you. I don't care if you're a Colts fan, if you're an NFL fan at large. It made both me and Eddie cackle today. Just just truly cackle at the situation. Wherewithal to put Free Willie Jr. <laughs> now, I will say, I know that we've talked about the offensive line a lot, but I mean, if I'm Ryan Kelly or Quentin Nelson, the fact that Free Willie Jr. is making $3 million more than me a year, I, I don't know. I might have to have some conversation with Jim Ursay. Might have to take a trip on the so apropos named Yacht Bus that we came up with 
<laughs> no, no word on if the yacht bus also has flotation capabilities. If it's also going to take the trip out there, hey, you never know. Who knows? Maybe. Hear me out on this. We talked about how Jim Mercy can massage the situation with Jonathan Taylor. Maybe he takes the yacht bus out there to the state of Washington and takes him there for the release. <laughs> and maybe it's like a synergy moment of how small the world is and, and, and humanity just, it, it, we need to come together. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the messaging is. So in the YouTube chat, Scotty says that whales should hold out for more money. <laughs> oh. <laughs> hey, any, any option at the bargaining table needs to be pulled needs to be utilized i i, I totally understand and and that's a uh it's a great opportunity for <laughs> jesus <laughs> so that's where john and taylor's at now again i i did all the the pleasantries and the crossing the t's and dotting the i's at the top of this okay if i had the money to be a philanthropic master of change in the world i would do it and I do commend Jim Ursay and anybody that wants to help animal cruelty and wildlife and that. This is a good thing that's been decades in the making. You can argue with me, you know, where else would the money be better served? But it's his money. He can do what he wants. And this is a nice thing that he is doing. And a process, again, that's been decades in the making. However, <laughs> if I'm Jonathan Taylor... And I didn't see the Pat McAfee interview. And all I see on a Thursday morning is a story about my owner, about a billionaire. And then it turns out to be my owner spending $20 million to move this animal cross country. It's hard for me not to feel a little frustrated with that. Even if maybe Jonathan Taylor is an animal lover. He just doesn't have that killer instinct, I guess. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe he doesn't. Clearly, he needed more of that. He needed to go visit some orcas and, and try to regain his killer instinct. Yeah, maybe maybe yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. You know. But either way, it's hard for me if I'm Jonathan Taylor to not be a little perplexed by the whole thing. And again, I'm an optics guy, and I know this conversation with Pat McAfee happened last month, but this Jonathan Taylor situation isn't new. It's been ongoing for longer than that. I've got the money is a tough line. Yeah. Because we, we, yes, he's got the money. Like everybody knows that. Jonathan Taylor either has to be an endangered animal or a famous guitar piece to be able to get a contract extension, it appears. So that's where we're at on that front. Again, across the board, we commend both Jim Ursay for doing this for Lolita. You hope it's a safe journey over there. And we also commend him for locking up. Free Willie Jr. for the next couple of years on the offensive line. Well done again <laughs> to Nathan. Are you, if you're Jonathan Taylor, what are you taking away from this? If you see it, maybe you're done with it. Again, maybe you're, you've tuned everything out and you haven't seen it. I don't even think, like, not even just Jonathan Taylor, like, anyone on the roster is like, what are we doing with this money? Like, we have this running back who's wanting to get paid, yet our owner is out here spending $20 million. Moving orca. 
A killer whale. I, I proposed the other day. Who's been living there for 53 years. He was 11 when Lolito got moved down there. <laughs> I proposed the other day that the contract extension should go to Michael Pittman Jr. That if he stays true and Ballard stays true to their process of extending their own, then Michael Pittman Jr. is as likely candidate as anybody. I know you fought for Grover Stewart, but I think we kind of... I haven't really fought well, for no, but, Grover. But I'm just tossing... Not, I not just, that he deserves it first, but that he should get an extension. Yeah, well, yeah, that aspect of it too. And then, you know, I just like to troll and stir the pot sometimes. Like, oh, what if... Uh, what if they, you know, extended Grover before the season starts, and next thing you know, you've got Taylor and Pittman on their final year, their rookie contract. You're an agent of chaos, I understand. But, Jimmy, I just like to think of all scenarios. Hey, you let it all play out. That's good. Because you just don't know with Chris Ballard. You never know what's going to come around the corner when Chris Ballard, or Jim Mercer, for that matter, step into a microphone. But I ask that because I said if I'm Jonathan Taylor, that would impact me pretty negatively. If Michael Pittman Jr. got the extension when I feel like, hey, I'm fighting for this. I'm as valuable, if not more valuable to this team. This is Jonathan Taylor talking. Not me as the pundit. Not a Colts fan. Just Jonathan Taylor's mindset. I, I'm as valuable. Why am I not, I'm not getting a contract extension? And again, to clarify, in case you're just joining us, Michael Pittman, Jr., Michael Pittman Jr. does not have a contract extension yet. But he addressed it, made comments on it. He basically said, if it happens, it'll happen. Not worried about it. I'm going to play it out if I don't have it. But yeah, of course, I'd like to have it. That'd be nice. But if you're Jonathan Taylor, now that we have the whale story, <laughs> what is worse from an impact standpoint? The fact that the dollar amount to move the whale is very close to the contract you may or may not be seeking, or the idea that Michael Pittman Jr. can get an extension before you. Ooh. Because for me, I think, it might be Lil- I think it might be Lolita. <laughs> I think that might be the one that would really rack my brain for what is going on. So right this now. is why you can't negotiate a contract with me because you've been negotiating the the terms of how much we're moving the lead of, you're moving the lead of for. That's that's why you didn't uh that's why you're not negotiating with me on a contract. I want to be here. Just after twenty twenty one, you viewed me in the same light of Edwin James and Marshall Falk and Eric Dickerson, guys who were inducted into the Ring of Honor and Lucas Loyal Stadium and now I'm a guy you don't even want to negotiate with just after one year where I get hurt. Other side of the coin, you are willing to make a financial trade-off to move Lolita across country, but you're refusing to trade me? I mean, where's where's my value in all this? Where do I stand, Jim? That's a good one. Thank you. What was the one you said before the show? I can't remember. You haven't pulled it out yet. <laughs> John, the joke around the net, like this is not a real take, not by me, but what I, what you hear from the national shows yep. is our kid should go play another position that, that I believe that as a, like a thought process for like pop Warner or like middle school kids fax machine. Yeah. But, but if you're a, a college age student, if you were clear in terms of your skill to be in a different position, you would be moved there by now. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't be at a running back slot. But for Jonathan Taylor, if he wanted a 16 to $20 million contract, if that's true, it's too late for him, but he either needed to be 
an offensive lineman <laughs> or an orca whale. That's the that's, that's the only pathway for him. That's it. So this whole thing is just. <laughs> John said it the other day. Called it days of our lives. It, it never ends. It never ends. It's the gift that keeps it on is. giving. It is. Uh, whether, whether you're in the content game or whether you're a fan at this point that has just put your feet up and just along for the ride. This was supposed to be a training camp that was centered around whether or not Anthony Richardson has the wherewithal right now to be a starter week one. By the way, he, start, he took all the starting reps today. Second consecutive practice. That's huge. And we'll read a quote a little bit later in the show from Shane Steichen about where things are at with Anthony Richardson that I thought was, again, we're going to read tea leaves, what we're going to do, but very enlightening to at least the relationship between young quarterback and first-year head coach. But that is a big deal. Consecutive days with first-team reps. It doesn't mean this thing is over necessarily, but... If you're going to succeed in this league, particularly with your first shot as an NFL coach, you're not going to force the rookie out there unless you really believe that he's checked all the other boxes and that at this point in time, the only thing he needs to develop, to bring himself along, and to reach the heights you want him to reach is reps. The snap count is crazily low. The amount of starting reps, you know it. 13 games started. We know where the completion percentage is at. The argument, though, is is 13 games really enough to have a complete body of work for what you're going to be as a football player? No, it's not. You can only do the type of stuff that he showed on tape, that he showed at the Combine, and now what he has an opportunity to do when he proves himself throughout training camp and this is not a process that's going to be rushed along. I know Colts fans are very worried about that. Well, all the you list examples of quarterbacks they've put out there too soon and then their careers are ruined or they're never the same. And some of that can be true, but oftentimes that's used as a crutch for guys that were hyped up in college or were, picks that we thought could pan out and then didn't in those situations it's used as a security blanket instead of saying maybe he wasn't a very good quarterback in the first place yeah there's stories of guys just flat out failing there's comeback stories in the national football league as well but more often than not as long as the quarterback is ready and it's not real malpractice by the coaching staff that's that's not a full real thing Either you have the goods to make in the NFL or you don't. The Trevor Lawrence or Peyton Manning comparisons will stand with rookie quarterbacks from now until the end of time. More so Peyton than Trevor at this point, I know. But that's a parallel that was drawn. Look at the struggles Trevor Lawrence had as a rookie quarterback. Then look at the second year he had. Look at the struggles Peyton had. Is he going to be the next Peyton Manning? That's not an analogy I'm making up, by the way. Trevor Lawrence was touted as that when he came out of Clemson. He was supposed to be the next great generational quarterback. I would argue he's well on his way with what he did last year. He's got to do it again and again, but he made the jump. 
So you're going to have quarterbacks that have that narrative around them from now until, to quote Jim Ursay, we're dead and the league has moved on without us. Paraphrasing, I guess, a little bit there. But that is to say that Anthony Richardson is not going to be thrown to the wolves unless he's ready. And you should view every one of these days where he is locking up the majority of, or in this case, all the starting reps as a win for his production and a win for where the Colts believe he's at. If you want to be super negative about it, maybe you can say the Colts are being reckless, but Shane Steichen has shown in his coordinator role, doesn't mean he's instantly going to be a great head coach, but he's shown as an offensive coordinator in this league that he knows how to help, assist, and outright manage quarterback development. That does not mean that Anthony Richardson is going to be Jalen Hurts overnight. Doesn't mean he's going to have the type of longevity on his career that Phillip Rivers had. It does not mean that he's going to be set up to necessarily get a Brinks truck-like contract extension that Justin Herbert got just a few days ago. But it does mean that Shane Steichen, even though he's a first-year head coach, at least has enough credentials to trust in what he's doing. You can say that you don't like what Chris Ballard has done to develop this team. You can say you think that Jim Ursay makes erratic decisions sometimes. But you can also say that Shane Steichen deserves a clean slate with this and doesn't have baggage tied to his name that would make you doubt his decision-making as the head coach of this football team. So if you're a Colts fan that's maybe panicking about that, looking at, oh, Anthony Richardson, he's getting all these reps, they're just going to force him out there and things are going to go south, they wouldn't do it if he wasn't ready. The relationship with Minshew is too strong from Shane Steichen to not believe in the veteran to bring the rookie along if it was necessary. That's half of the reason they wanted him here when they went out and got him in the offseason. Was the familiarity with Shane Steichen, the type of quarterback that he is, and the thought that you could use a veteran in the locker room while you're trying to bring the rookie along. But to Eddie's point, that development in camp is a very positive one and something we continue to monitor. It does not mean Canton has been notified. It does not mean that he's going to win Rookie of the Year. But it does mean that it's a positive development for where things are at. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We will give you an update on where things are at from Colts camp. That'll be a revisiting of the news that broke just before we went on the air and an area of a contract extension that might happen before Jonathan Taylor, but the way it's being talked about and viewed is vastly different than how it's being viewed for the 24-year-old running back. That's more when we come back on the Fan Midday Show. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. We're inside of three weeks before the field trip of all field trips. I love a good field trip day. Grade school, high school, whatever it was. Love an opportunity to get outside the classroom and experience the world. We're going to get an opportunity to do that, as are you, at the Back Nine Golf and Entertainment Center. Get that PTO request in for a three-day weekend. Better do it now. Very important. It's August 18th. 
10 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. It's the fan on the back nine golf outing presented by Franciscan Health Heart Center. Friday, August 18th, we got golf. We got food. We got tournament-style games, including longest drive competition and closest to the pin competition. Kevin Bowen's going to be out there. Jake Query's going to be out there. JMV is going to be out there as well. I'll be out there. Be a fun time. And in fact, the ride with JMV is going to have a live broadcast immediately following yeah. 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Whole run of show there. Check in. Again, back nine, downtown, 10 a.m. Lunch will be served. And then they'll kick things off officially at 11 a.m. But on top of that, silent auction. Items will go towards this year's charity. Sports memorabilia, one-of-a-kind experiences will be among the items that are available for attendees to bid on. Of course, all of the proceeds of tickets purchased that are now just $50, by the way, uh, go to the American Heart Association now for reference. Uh, if you wanted to go to the back nine with some friends, some family, it's going to cost you $45 an hour. This ticket, you go there and you golf as much as you want. It's a great opportunity. Eddie put it very well that it's a opportunity to play hooky, get those PTO requests in and start off a three-day weekend off, right? Strangely enough, if you're really trying to make a, a heck of an evening out of it, and that includes listening and being there for the live broadcast, the ride with JMV, but that is also opening Friday night for high school football. So th- think, think of a, try to think of a better way to get that weekend started, whether you're a fan of a local high school or you have kids or nephews or cousins that play on local high school football teams. You take the day off. Have a whole little bash with the fan at the Back Nine Golf and Entertainment Center. Listen to the ride with JMV. Be a part of the live audience. You can listen to me broadcast Carol Fort Wayne at HSE. Eddie will right be there. That. Ron Colley Southport for myself. Yeah, yeah. You can listen on both platforms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just gonna, that's all I get. Yeah. That's all I get from you. It'll be a game for a quarter. I... I Appreciate your support. And I, and I, uh, I'm sorry out there to all the Southport <laughs> listeners that I know. Just the cold-hearted hey, truth. Hey, the South Side rivalry, man. We, we, we love a good rivalry matchup. But anyway. It's not a rivalry if the other side doesn't win. We are digressing. We are digressing. High school football Friday night, and the lead-up to that is the Fan on the Back Nine Golf Entertainment Center is the location. August 18th. It's a Friday, 10 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., 1075thefan.com to get your tickets. Hurry and get them now before they sell out. We mentioned before we went to break that we would re-update you or give you any updates on where things are at post-training camp, or at least today's activities, rather, at Grand Park. And the last word that we heard from DeForest Buckner from Joel A. Erickson is that he's dealing with a foot injury. That was the update that Shane Steichen provided to the media. He came up limping after a play. Left under his own power with the help of a trainer. Additionally, Michael Pittman Jr. spoke to the media, gave his perspective on where things were at from a contract standpoint, and had mentioned that if a contract offer was to come his way, of course, he would welcome it. I'm slightly paraphrasing here, but he said, I think every player wants to get paid. I wouldn't mind one. But does he expect it? I don't really expect anything. Pittman said, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, then yeah, I would play without an extension. And you know there's not enough time in this segment to dive fully into this. We will mm-hmm. dive into it around 2.30. But we had mentioned 
previously when this came up that it felt like indifference from Michael Pittman Jr. about his future as a Colt. These quotes, I read more as just comfortable with where he is right now. Yep, and his dad commented on a post on Instagram saying, that's right, son, just play ball. The rest will work itself out in the end. So essentially, coded message here that (laughs) Pittman is going to go out there and just play and let the contract situation handle itself because if you're his agent and if you're Michael Pittman, you're not rushing for it. You got to wait for this Jonathan Taylor situation to play out because you can get whatever money you want if Taylor gets tagged. And regardless of what happens with Jonathan Taylor, like we said at the top of the show, Michael Pittman Jr. has that security because of the position that he plays and he knows the Colts would let him walk. He would get a nice pile of cash from a willing team that would want to bring him in as a weapon in their offense. It's a loaded show today. George Bremer going to join us when we return. We'll get George's takeaways from everything that has occurred at Colts camp and his thoughts on the Jonathan Taylor situation. Covers the Colts for the Herald Bulletin, plus bottom of the 1 o'clock hour, Colts starting left tackle. Bernard Ryman will join us. And then one of our favorites, top of the 2 o'clock hour, David Kaplan of ESPN 1000 in Chicago. Get all things Chicago. We'll go Cubs. We'll go Bears. And we'll look forward to joint practices. Plus, maybe ask him about a prop bet that Eddie brought to my attention a little bit ago. But first, George Bremer, beat writer for the Herald Bulletin, covers those Indianapolis Colts. What's the latest from Colts camp with George when we come back? The action continues, not just here in the drivehuber.com studios, but also out at Grand Park in Westfield for Colts training camp. Never a dull moment on this beat. That could be the joke that you would have made had nothing happened at camp today. And it was just the Jonathan Taylor saga. But, of course, it would not be a proper day at Colts camp if there wasn't more nuggets, more drama, more chaos. Who better to handle the drama and the chaos than our next guest, the frequent appearance maker here on the Fan Midday Show. He's the Colts beat writer and sports editor for the Herald Bulletin. He is one George Bremer. You can follow him on Twitter at GM Bremer. George, how you doing today? Doing well. Never a dull moment. Exactly right. <laughs> How's your foot? How are you doing? You okay? Any, any anything to report on your front? Any sunburns? Yeah, I mean, uh, it looks a little bit, a little bit of sunburn, a little bit of windburn. You know, <laughs> nice breeze came in late in practice. I think that that picked us all up. Hey, that's good. I feel you on that. Particularly here in Indiana, anytime you get that just hidden breeze that pops up, especially out there at Colts Camp, I, I'm sure it is very welcomed. When you look at what's happened today, let's start first with the news that broke at the beginning of our show, maybe an hour before that with DeForest Buckner. I correct me if I'm wrong, but just from following your timeline on Twitter, I believe that happened when you were out there. What did you see from that play? I'm not going to make it be a doctor, but take us through what that happened with the foot injury of Buckner and the fact that he was helped out, walked on his own power, but with his trainer by his side. Yeah, you know, he left field for a little while, obviously never came back into team drills. I think it was I think it was a good sign that they didn't take him out of pads. He stayed out there. He didn't go back into practice, but he was still you know, out there on the field and he was in full pads. Uh, I think that's a good sign, although I, I've been around long enough to know that, you know, sometimes it doesn't matter. Guy looks perfectly fine and you're like, yeah, that's good. And then, you know, an hour later, here comes a press release that they've torn a ACL and they're done. And they're just built different. They don't react to pain the way you and I do. So sometimes you can't really tell. But I think in Buckner's case in particular, if his foot's attached, I assume he's going to play eventually. I mean, he's, he's just that guy. He plays through everything. He deals with everything. 
Uh, but because it can't be a day without, you know, some kind of five alarm fire, now we've got to figure out what, what's going on with his foot. <laughs> I don't envy you, George. I don't. I, I, I don't envy you whatsoever. There's been a line of conversation every year around this time of player safety and where is the line, and coaches have addressed this too, of that's just football and that that's an injury that could be prevented. Not what happened to DeForest Buckner. I just mean large scale. Where, where do you feel the dialogue is in today's NFL, both from a media standpoint and from team personnel standpoint of have we reached the spot where they've done pretty much all they can in terms of player protection or injury prevention as much as you can in training camp? I think it's sort of like with racing. I don't think you ever get to the point where you're, you've done everything possible. You know, I, I think you're always trying to push just find that next piece of technology, that next drill, that next exercise, whatever you can, you know, to make it better. Um, I know a ton of time goes into it. And I think Shane Steichen in particular, uh, you know, the entire camp schedule from how long practices are to when they're scheduled is built around trying to make sure that these guys are ramped up the right way. You know, they did red zone work day one because they didn't want them running long distances on that first day back. But at the same time, it's a sport that's just inherently dangerous, right? I mean, as, as you're out there, I, I, I always go back to Vic Ballard because it's one of the more tragic things that I saw. You know, he, we're out there at Anderson at the time, and he's just catching drills, it, catching the ball, it, it, routes versus air. And his knee turns the wrong way, and, you know, he's done. Pretty much his Colts career was over at that point. I, that's football, unfortunately. But I think you're never going to stop trying to, you know, push that next, whatever it may be, a new piece of equipment, a new idea about how to train, a new idea about how to practice. You know, I, I think it's an ongoing process, uh, and I think it's something that Shane, in particular, takes really seriously. And they've been fairly fortunate. You know, cross your fingers. They've been fairly fortunate this year. There's a couple guys out, but I think Buckner's probably the first one that really makes people kind of catch their breath a little bit. Usually, six practices in the camp. That's that's already happened. I'm going to take you on a lighter note, George. That I I, I tightrope walked earlier, so I apologize for bringing you on this with me as well. Um, but. Have you seen the story about the lead of the Orca whale and Jim Irsay's involvement in that? Did that happen across your timeline today? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's before Buckner's foot. I think that was the story of the day. <laughs> where, where, where is the, I'm trying to put myself in Jonathan Taylor's shoes because I'm an animal lover. I think a lot of people are. I think if I had the money to do what Jim Irsay can do and the snap of his fingers, I would go ahead and do it. But the number of dollars that he spends here is suspiciously close to the range of what, you know, a star running back might want from his owner. It, I know you haven't talked to him, but if we're playing the I'm going to play Jonathan Taylor for a day, what's your mindset when that is what is dominating the sports headlines prior to the DeForest Buckner injury? I mean, the optics are, are definitely not good. <laughs> There's no question about that. But that, I mean, you can say about training camps as it started, right? I think yeah. the optics here from day one, have not been good. They're out the window. Uh, Nobody cares. Nobody cares about optics. They're absolutely terrible. Uh, but you know, if I'm Jonathan Taylor, it's certainly not making my, my day any brighter. I don't think I'm, I'm laughing about it as I scroll through Twitter or you know whatever he might be doing, wherever he's finding this news. Uh, but at the end of the day, also, it's something that was actually set up like two years ago. Yeah, so right, I think that's right. important, too. Uh, and also, I kind of compare it to, like, my, my daughter, you know, she went to candy bar, and I'm looking at her, I'm like, it's 8 o'clock at night, I need you to go to sleep. 
I, I've got the money. I'm not going to give you that candy bar. But then later, you know, she's like, well, but you bought a new car. It's, they're not the same. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're not dealing with the same budget here. It's not the same reasoning. I think there's a little bit of that going on here as well. I will say, though, and I think we can both agree, I've seen the the alleged reported numbers. I don't know how much I believe, but if it is a 16 to $20 million range for Jonathan Taylor, slightly closer than the candy bar to the car, but you're right. The, the analogy does remain the same. I don't disagree with you. <laughs> no, it's, you know, it's just a tough spot to be in. Yeah. I think, and obviously, yeah. if, if you're Jonathan Taylor, all of these things, you know, I, I think that's just another probably area here where he's, you know, a little slighted. I, I don't blame him. I think the, the problem you have right now is you've got the team sitting there saying, we want to see more. We want to see that you're healthy. We want to see how you fit in this offense. You know, before we commit to a long-term deal, we want to see more. And if you're Jonathan Taylor, you're like, open up the, the franchise record book, and, and you'll see what you need to see. So I, they're both dug in right now very much in their stances. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how or if at all this, this gets resolved. When you look at the timeline we're on right now and the countdown to week one quickly approaching – does the vibe around the team change if he does hold out? And here's my reasoning on that. Because right now, you get it. He, he is your, your brother, your teammate. He's fighting for what he thinks is his. And I, I applaud him for that because you should as a player. You should do everything you can to maximize your situation. But if I am in the front lines with him or if I am out there on the gridiron with him and we're getting our teeth caved in, by the time week three or four rolls around, you look and you think, man, we could really use him. He still has a year under his contract. I feel like that's where things could could start to dwindle or, or cave in in terms of how this is viewed internally. It, am I crazy for that? Is that just a, a, a bridge that we'll cross when we get to it? How, how do you view that? You know, I, I see it kind of the same way. I think right now, I, I kind of call this selfish season in the NFL. Not that it totally is, but when you're in training camp right now, everybody, there's not any guys here. And they all have some personal goal they're trying to reach. Some of them are just trying to make the team. Some are trying to be starters for the first time. Some of them maybe want to make a Pro Bowl for the first time, or or you want to be Defense Player of the Year or MVP or whatever it may be. But you've got your own personal agenda, and you've got 90 guys who have that personal agenda right now. And as you get closer to the season and roles start to develop and, and these guys meet their personal goals, then you start looking at the team. And I think that's kind of the situation the way it is right now. It's easy for them. You hear guy after guy coming into the tent you know, after practice and say, we're not focused on that. We're, we're focused on our job. And I think it's 100% true. Right now, they're about trying to get through this practice, catch a coach's eye, get done whatever they want to get done. But as you get closer to September 10th, it's going to be more and more about beating the Jacksonville Jaguars, trying to make the playoffs, trying to turn around from last year. I think at that point is when the whole Taylor situation becomes an distraction for the team. George Bremer with us, Colts beat writer and sports editor for the Herald Bulletin. We talked about optics and how everybody's just throwing them out the window that's involved with these Jonathan Taylor negotiations, and it's clear that they aren't coming back anytime soon. The angle that I looked at, though, before the years-old but resurfaced Orca Whale story came about was what happens if Jim Irsay slash Chris Boward extend another Colt on this team? And, of course, at this point, based on the comments today, I'm referring to Michael Pittman Jr. We'll get into how he's playing this in a second, but from an optic standpoint, my gut tells me, yeah, as a general manager, you can't worry about it. You want to take care of your most important pieces, and even though it might send a very negative message, if you can agree to terms on somebody like Michael Pittman Jr. that's fair to the team, fair to the player, and the position he plays, maybe you do it. 
from your side of things, from an optics standpoint, how do things change if a deal is done with Michael Pittman Jr. either before the season starts or before something comes to pass with Jonathan Taylor? Yeah, I think in a normal year where you're not dealing with the circus like, like it is right now, it would be all positive because it would be like, well, you got that one out of the way and now you can just focus on Taylor and you've got the franchise tag opened up and you, you know, it makes it easier going down. Obviously, anytime you've got two deals to do, it's harder than anytime you've got one. But I think given the situation now, given the trade request, given you know the social media back and forth, the, the elementary school food, food fight that seems to be going on out here right now, it would just be to me. It would just be another knife in you know in, in John Taylor's back from his perspective. You know, if you, if you look at that and you say, well, this guy's in my draft class. Uh, we're both in the same situation. Why don't they need to see more from him? Why is he getting a deal? Why am I not? I think that's a natural human reaction, right? Um, and so it's just funny to me because I think it's the, the the boat that they put themselves in. Any other time, any other period in franchise history, all of it would be positive. All it would be good. Hey, got that one taken care of. Let's move on to the next one. Because of the situation they're in right now, probably just inflame things even more. But I agree with you. If you're Chris Ballard, you can't worry about that. You know, you've got to take care of what whatever you can do uh, to to get a player that you want to keep around in here. You you got to do it, no matter how it might look. You know, to to the running back or to, to anybody on the outside. You mentioned if it was a normal year, and I would argue that if it was a normal year, the way Michael Pittman Jr. is playing this is the way that he should play it. But that's not a mark to say that Jonathan Taylor is playing this wrong. It's a clear differentiator of the two positions that they play. Michael Pittman Jr. knows that he plays a position where they're going to back out the the Brinks truck regardless if he's a Colt or if he's a free agent. As you look at that and how Michael Pittman Jr. has handled things, that's the playbook for him to follow, regardless of the situation with Jonathan Taylor, correct? is just to be as, hey, if it happens, it happens. I'm here to play. I'd like it, but that's out of my hands. The way he's playing it, I would argue, is as good as anybody could have in a normal year or in a year where you have another player in your class that is fighting for the same thing. Absolutely. And I think it comes to the crux of the problem, like you said. I mean, the, the biggest difference between Michael Pittman joking with us there in the media tent and saying, you know, sure, I, I, I'd like an extension if they want to give me one, uh, and being out here every day and, and being a big part of practice, and Jonathan Taylor, you know, being on PUP and, and, and not obviously not being a happy man right now. Uh, Pittman knows if he has a great year, if he goes out there and, and he has the kind of season he's capable of, and he looks like he works with this new quarterback and he fits in this offense, he's either going to get paid by this team or by one of the 31 other teams. I think the problem for the running backs right now is there's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. They're just being promised, go out there, give us your all, do the best you can, and then we'll see what we can do for you. And it's a hard sell. You know? And it's, it's just sort of the difference right now. I, I think the lesson is even whales have better negotiating positions right now <laughs> than running backs do. Uh, the other pathway is that you know if you're Jonathan Taylor, you either need to be a you know owner of or a uh, if he could change himself into a legendary piece of music memorabilia or turn himself into Orca, he might be uh, in better stance to be able to get himself a contract negotiation. And it really is a circus. You just never know what is going to happen out of Colts training camp. George Bremer with us of the Herald Bulletin. For me, I have a hard time going back and forth of how much blame I put on Jonathan Taylor and how much blame I put on first-round management and the information that presumably Jonathan Taylor is getting of guidance from said representation for how he should handle all this. 
how, how do you balance that? Because on the one hand, I think it's clear that his representation doesn't either know what they're doing or, as I mentioned at the start of the show, is waiting for Dana White to bring out Jim Irsay and them to have a weigh-in later today. Like I, I don't know why both these parties are going guns a-blazing here, but I don't think it's the right pathway. But also, Jonathan Taylor decided to go with this representation and is following the advice. So so where's the balancing act there of, of who deserves more blame not with Jim Irsay, but with what Jonathan Taylor and his stance has changed over the last six months. Yeah, I know. There's no question. It feels like they're waiting to settle this in the octagon, which, which is not going to happen. Uh, you know, I, it felt like a Hail Mary on Taylor's part, to be honest, knowing, okay, looking around, look, this market's depressed, tough for a running back to get money. I'm going to go with the guy that got shacked the big deal and, and, and see if you know he can rattle some trees and, and make this work. Um, obviously, it's not going well. Uh, you're sitting here now, six days, six practices into training camp, more than a week into training camp, uh, and, and it's hard to imagine going worse. Honestly, it's hard to imagine them being in a situation worse than they are right now, both him and the team. I think part of the problem is both sides have legitimate arguments. You know, the, the Colts are saying, "Look, running backs are not well paid in this league. We're not going to break the market. We want to make sure you're healthy. We want to see, you know, how you fit in this new offense." And, and then we can talk. But if you're Jonathan Taylor, you're saying, I've given you three years. Two of them were very good. Last year was injury prone. Uh, but I, I've made my case. You should know what I am by now. And I think, I feel like, no one said this, but I feel like Marlon Mack is hanging over all this as well. When Jonathan Taylor's a rookie, he comes in, and Marlon Mack's in front of him, and they're telling Marlon Mack, hey, go out there, have a great year. You and Jonathan Taylor will split the carries, and then you'll get paid, either here or somewhere. You know, you'll, you'll get your reward. And the first half of the first game of the regular season, he tears his Achilles tendon. He's only played 14 games since then. If I'm Jonathan Taylor, just a human, I, he's not said this, just from a human standpoint, that is very much on my mind as I'm getting into the same situation, going into the same situation. I, I don't know how he doesn't think about that. Clarify for me if you have heard any numbers or heard about what Jonathan Taylor wants or not. If you haven't, then we'll just speculate on it. But but have you heard anything in terms of where the biggest point of contention is right now with JT and his group? I haven't heard anything like that, that's concrete. You know, there's whispers out there, like you were saying, you hear the sixteen to twenty million dollar range. It's easy enough to look at the the market and, and look at Christian McCaffrey at the top and you assume most guys like Jonathan Taylor, who have a case to be made that they're the best player at their position when their contract comes up, that's the money they want. So I've not heard that in any kind of concrete way, but it's easy to believe that they would at least be looking at, at Christian McCaffrey's number. Yeah, I mean, he's at the top of the market in a lot of those levels, including guaranteed run, guaranteed money. And I know that that complicates things to some extent because those are two elements that are very prevalent in contract negotiations, especially when you bring the Marlon Mack thing into it of – that's something I've seen firsthand, a running back getting hurt that was promised money. Maybe it's a guaranteed money issue. Who knows? But let's just say, for the sake of the discussion, that it is a money thing. This is clearly not a, oh, well, all the Colts are going to do is just offer $13 million a year for like three or four years, and it'll work out. Because to me, that would be about Derrick Henry money. That's about the type of running back that he is at his best is is in the conversation with Derrick Henry at the time. Again, Henry had an injury, ironically enough, that year too, but at the time, of best running back in the National Football League. That, that makes sense to me with what he does as a back, as a traditional running back. It's clearly not a $13 million evaluation from his agent as to why 
there's no wiggle room here, correct? Like, it has to be more than that. Yeah, you feel like if it was that simple, it'd be done, right? Like, if they could yeah. just look at that, because uh, Nick Chubb's, what, $12 million? So if you go into that $12, $13 million range, maybe bump it up to fourteen to, to make it like you won the negotiations. I think if it was that simple, it would already be done. That, but, yeah, I don't have any concrete yeah. uh, you know, sources telling me that. But, just yeah, common sense. Uh, seems like it, it would be over already if that was the ballpark that they were talking. Let's switch to some positive news, at least from Colts fans' side of things. George Bremer with us covers the Colts for the Herald Bulletin. Nice enough to take some time with us here on the Fan Midday Show. Anthony Richardson, another consecutive day, getting all of those first team reps. I mentioned before we had you on that it's not an indication that, oh, he's going to win Rookie of the Year, or, oh, he's progressing to a way that he's definitively a franchise quarterback, but it can also be a good sign in terms of the progress the coaching staff has seen. How far are you jumping ahead with two straight days of full team reps and where do you see this on the road to a potential week one start? Also, what'd you hear from Shane Steichen today? Yeah, Shane was trying to, to, to pump the brakes a little bit, which I think they're going to do. You know, I think that's one of the things that, that they're really interested in right now in making sure they're not putting too much hype around the number four overall pick. There's enough pressure on his shoulders. They don't want to add to that in any way they can. And Shane basically said, well, he missed Monday. So we're kind of giving him the extra day to work it out. But at the end of the day, there's been six practices and three of them, including the last two in succession, Anthony Richardson's got all the first-team reps. And two of them, Gardner Minshew got all the first-team reps, and in one of them, they split. So I think you know the, the trend, I'm not great at math, that's why I became a sports writer, the trend here is going towards the rookie. Uh, and I think, to me, that's kind of what you expected to see, him try to earn it and come through. The biggest thing to me right now is what you're hearing from his teammates, whether it's Michael Pittman, whether it's Alec Pierce today, Quentin Nelson a little bit later than those two kept saying his presence in the huddle, even from the spring till now, you can see a real marked difference. His comfort level with the, with the plays and with calling them and running them is just improving on a daily basis. I think the most important thing for him, even more than the coaches, obviously he has to win over the coaches. You're not going to start if the coaches have trust in you. But I think the most important thing is getting that trust from his teammates. And I think, Every offensive coach is watching that right now. Every indication we have right now is that that trust is building day by day by day. Now, obviously, Gardner Minshew is a more polished guy. He's been in the league for four years. He's been in the system now. This will be his third year with Shane Steichen. He obviously is a more polished guy. He's a little bit further ahead right now. If the teammates, though, are feeling a similar comfort level with Anthony Richardson, to me, that's a win for the rookie. What has stood out the most to you at training camp to this point, non-injury, non-contract drama situation? Yeah, there are some other things going on. It doesn't seem like it some <laughs> days. But there are some other storylines. Um, Daryl Baker, I think, has been a, a really interesting. He, he's one of those guys that in a normal year, he'd be a big story. Not that, again, not that he's on his way to Canton or anything like that, but you're talking about an undrafted guy who got his feet wet last year on special teams, given an opportunity here to compete for a starting role at corner, uh, Juju Brents has not been out there, which is I think is a little bit concerning at this point. They keep saying he's close, he's going to get back there, but for a rookie, six practices in, he hasn't taken the field yet. Baker's taking advantage of it almost every day. He had an interception today early on against Richardson. He's had some really good reps against Michael Pittman, some really good reps against Alec Pierce. I think he's just a guy, it's that classic summer story of a guy that, that maybe isn't on anybody's radar who's taking advantage of his opportunities, uh, and I think it'd be a much bigger story if, you know, we weren't dealing with whales and running backs and 
everything else. <laughs> All we need is tigers and bears, and we'd be we'd be going someplace for certain. Uh, weird segue with that last phrase, but it is what it is. Speaking of the bears, you mentioned where our lines will be to know where the quarterback situation is going. If it'll be Minshew, if it'll be Richardson, and of course we're we're just tea leaving here. But when you went into camp, where did you personally set? Okay, this is what I'm going to look for. Is th- this is a serious indication that there's movement at the quarterback position, whether it's going to be Richardson or Minshew versus what you'll set for joint practices and what you'll set for the preseason games themselves. I feel like it's one of those situations. I honestly, it's going to go right up to week one because yeah. there's no reason for it not to, even if they make a decision internally, there's no reason for them to let anybody know uh, until that, that opener against Jacksonville. But <clears throat> I think there's checkpoints along the way. And I think the, the first interesting one is going to be, you know, August 12th, who starts that game against Buffalo. Not an indication necessarily of who's going to be there, but it does feel like to me that's who's ahead right now in the scorebooks, right? I mean, whoever goes out there with the first team against the Bills is at that moment the guy that Shane Sykin's leaning toward. And then I think they're lucky. They've got multipliers, if you want to call them that. These joint practices with the Bears and the Eagles are worth way more than than what we've seen so far in camp. They're going to have three of those. I think that's – they're going to get so much information from those three practices to have a better feel for where Anthony Richardson is than they would if it's just the three preseason games and your regular training camp practice. Last thing for you before we let you go. This is going to be my question to, I think, beat writers from now until the Jonathan Taylor situation either reaches an ending or it ends up with a contract extension or it ends up with him not playing week one. Either way, James Boyd has been in here a number of times, thus he's going to be back in here tomorrow. We give him a hard time about all the requests he gets in his mentions for Anthony Richardson video or, oh, why didn't you put that highlight clip in there? I know there's limits to what you can and can't film at camp, but what has been the dominant area of your mentions the last couple of weeks? Is it far and away, Jonathan Taylor, or is it still, hey, we need some more Anthony Richardson fix. Please, come on, come on, give it to us. It's probably 70% Jonathan Taylor. And then maybe twenty percent Richardson and ten percent everybody else. I mean, it's there are two storylines right now as, as far as the fans are concerned, and one of them is is dominant. Well, good on you for keeping your head on straight through all of this. And uh, don't forget, not only is the sunscreen important, we talked about your injury report to start things, but don't be afraid to go to the aloe if you need to. There's no shame in it. No shame in it at all, George. Yeah, I may have to look to the trainers here at some point. Make sure I'm staying in there. But, hey, so far, so good. Give them a thumbs up, and we'll know you're all right. Thank you, George. Thanks a lot. Anytime. That is George Bremer. Covers the Colts as well as the sports editor over there at the Herald Bulletin. You can follow him on Twitter at GM Bremer. Good to get that update from George, and good to get the overall updates as well from Shane Steichen. You can't read too much into where the quarterback spot is right now. I do agree with George that why would you release it to the public about who's going to be your week one starter any sooner than either that week or approaching week one? Fantasy football. Amen to that. Selfishly, yes. All those people want to know, Jimmy. I imagine that this speaks far and wide to Do I many need to utilize a draft pick on Anthony Richardson in my fantasy league? That exactly the question I was going to propose. Because How soon? You know... In general, if you're in a league with Colts fans, if you're a Colts fan yourself and you're in a fantasy football league, I'd love to have Anthony Richardson, says a Colts player. I I don't think that I would. Um, I usually wait for a quarterback, but if he wasn't going to be the starter, allegedly, 
You could really wait for a quarterback. Oh, maybe yeah. somebody. Who am I kidding? There's always one. You know who you are. You might be listening right now. I'm going to advise you on this. We're not going to. We might do this a little closer to real fantasy football draft season. But I'll save you one piece of advice here and now. Do not use a top. What most drafts are 13 rounds, 12, 13, I, I don't 14. Know. You're a fantasy football player. What do you mean you don't know? I don't memorize the number of drafts. Okay, rounds. it's like it's it like varies. thirteen. It's like it's like thirteen for most for most leagues. I'd say thirteen to fifteen. Anyway, varies league to league. It does. You're right. Do not waste a top. I'm going to say seven. Do not wow. waste a top seven pick on Anthony Richardson. Insert Owen Wilson. Wow, wow, wow. You're going to have a friend in your fantasy football league that is going to take him in the fourth round. Don't don't do it. Don't feel like oh, I got to beat him to it. I got to take him the third. Do not do it. Take Jonathan Taylor instead. <laughs> take Free Willie Jr. instead. <laughs> <laughs> this is the biggest thing I have to do every year. I'm sure Matt Ryan's still in the database. Probably select him too. <laughs> this is the biggest fantasy football thing I have to do every year, which is draft a Chiefs player. Restrain myself from taking Patrick Mahomes super early. Because I'm in a league with a lot of Chiefs fans. And guys, he hasn't made it past the first round. Maybe the second round any any year we've done it. And ladies. And ladies. But in this particular instance, our league is, is full of gentlemen. But you're yes. Gentlemen and ladies that are fans of football players, it's not happened. So I tell you that because regardless of when the week one status is revealed... Somebody is going to make that move early in your Colts draft. Don't be the guy that does it. Don't. You'll be much happier if you take a high-level wide receiver or a dual-threat running back with your first-round pick. Before we go to break here, Jimmy, uh, Nick Cottingham has a uh, piece up on 1075thefan.com of like some of the best team names ever. Yeah. What's your personal favorite in terms of the best team that, that you've ever had fantasy football-wise? You put me on the spot. I want to think about it during the break because I don't have one off the top of my head. And if I go lame, like for instance, this is not a punny name. So that doesn't even qualify for that list. My team was so bad for a handful of years that I renamed them the other guys, which is a playoff of the 2009 movie <laughs> with Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell. So I've got two for you. Okay. Give them to me. Uh, a couple of years ago in my, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it was a keeper league and I had three Cowboys players. So um, I was the Dallas Crybabies, and my team logo picture was the Jordan crying face on Jerry Jones. <laughs> and then uh, during the pandemic, I was CDC guidelines. Well done. Good on you. Th- there's definitely some good ones. I'm going to have to look back at the at our league history and, and take a peek, and we'll share them at 145. I have some, too, that are not radio appropriate. So I figured as much. That tends to be the careful tightrope you have to walk when you're talking about funny fantasy football names. So we will keep it PG. But again, that'll be at 145 because when we return, we had an opportunity a little bit earlier today to have a conversation with starting left tackle Bernard Ryman. He did share a nugget with me that that made me just yell with joy during the interview. And I think most of you will as well. I'll give you the tease now. It's not football related, but it's a guy that I can get behind right there in Bernard Ryman. Cows, right? (laughs) Yes, indeed. Cows is the clue. Number of different topics we covered with Bernard Ryman, including how he's preparing for year two, 
how wild of a rookie season he had to endure last year and how excited he is for that matchup in Germany. Starting left tackle for Indianapolis Colts, Bernard Ryman joins the fan midday show when we come back. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook coming to you from the DriveHubler.com studios. Colts camp well underway out at Grand Park. And we're fortunate enough to be joined by Colts starting left tackle. Bernard Ryman joins the Fan Midday Show. About to enter year number two as an Indianapolis Colt. Bernard, how goes it after another day at Colts camp? Hey, um, you know, we're just having fun out here. Getting better every day. And, you know... Having fans out here, it's a blast. Um, spending some time with them right now um, after practice is over, and it's just uh, it's just a good time out here. I want to start with a question that we began earlier this week with your teammate, tight end Moelle Cox, and that was kind of a more fun, lighthearted question of what type of music that he's into. But his answer when we asked him where the like heavy metal or country music taste lied on the team was on the offensive line. Is, is that an accurate statement, or, or where, where do your musical tastes lie, Bernard? Um, yeah, I have to I have to agree with that. <laughs> I, mean, I think we're all pretty similar in that. Um, we like listening to country music. Um, but then, you know, when it comes to a workout time or, you know, getting a lift in, then it's usually time for some heavy metal, <laughs> some rock, um, trying to, you know, get the heart rate going a little bit. Well, he made it. He made it seem like it's good that you guys have a separate meeting rooms because he he didn't get down that way with that kind of music. He's more of a future fan himself. <laughs> hey, that's that's okay. We all we all different in that way, but um, we make it work, you know. This is year two for you, Bernard Ryman. Nice enough to join us here on the Fan Midday Show. I, I know that there was a lot of at least behind or. In the public eye, a lot of chaos a year ago with coaching changes and quarterback changes on the fly. As you look back at your expectations for yourself in year one, you couldn't have anticipated any of that. But but where were your expectations and goals last year? I mean, the expectations, obviously, every year is um, to start and be the best possible version for the team. And then as a team, obviously, make it to the Super Bowl and then the way that the year turned out just was something that obviously no one anticipated. It was um, a lot of chaos and um, it was tough. But, you know, I've had some um, amazing teammates and coaches to lean on and uh, help me, you know, transition into the NFL. And then also with everything going on last year, you know, um, helped me keep my head up and just, you know, um, keep getting better. So um, I'm excited to show it this year. The offensive line has been criticized over the last couple of years, and and I imagine as a rookie wanting to prove yourself in the NFL a year ago, you you probably tuned that out, but but to some extent, all that chatter is around when the team is struggling. For you, I felt like personally you really hit your stride in the back half of last season, particularly those last couple of games. Uh, Did you feel the same way, and how do you build off of that? How have you built off of that this offseason? I mean, yeah, it's it's obviously a transition going from college to the NFL. Um, it's a lot of, you know, players just flying around. Everything's a lot faster. Every player's a lot stronger. And, um, you know, you, you get used to it. And then with each game, you kind of um, 
you work on your own mistakes from the from the week prior and then at the same time you also gain confidence and I think that also showed on the football field and I um, in the same way, I just you know kept working every day in the off season, um, tried to get better every day, and yeah, and I think I'm, it, it really shows in the football field now. Who have you leaned on the most through the last twelve to, to twenty four months through this process of coming out of Central Michigan to getting an opportunity to be a starter last year and now retaining that job? Who, who have you leaned on the most from either an offensive line perspective or just a coaching perspective overall? I mean, I really have to point out the veterans in our O-line room. I mean, Braden, Ryan, Q, they are all obviously great players, but they're also really great people. And they really help me a lot, um, you know, um, with different problems, with uh, mistakes I made, and they help me um, fix those mistakes. They help me with their techniques and their advice and how they've overcome those um, mistakes or setbacks. And I think, you know, those guys really made a, made a huge difference for me. For you, from a, a confidence standpoint and from a development standpoint, how were you impacted at all by, by the coaching changes and, and the quarterback changes that happened last year? Um, I mean, obviously, it's, it's different. But at the same time, um, every year is different. So, you know, you're just making the most out of, out of each opportunity and, the mission still stayed the same. I mean, um, you know, mission is to win the Super Bowl, and that's all that matters. So, um, for me personally, I'm just trying to be the best version of myself for the team, and you know, help us to get help us get there. So, um, I guess the mission didn't really change, but obviously, coaches and stuff have a little bit of a different approach. But um, you know, great coaches. Heading into your second season, a new head coach in Shane Steichen. What have the conversations been like with him, and what has been the overall vibe specifically for your offensive line room with his philosophy and how he wants to build things along this offensive line? Yeah, I mean, Coach Steichen has been great. Um, you can tell that he he loves football. He, you know, um, he knows so much about it. He's sitting in every single offensive meeting that he can, and every time we install a new play, he always has, like, two or three more tips and pointers about that play just because he knows the game so well and um, you can just tell he's obsessed with, with the game and studying the game and getting better himself and that just makes it that much more fun for us players to follow a guy like him and and for the offensive line too, I mean um, with Coach Sperano um, he's, a, he's a great coach, great leader um, he's really trying to you know get the best out of us and I, I think he's been doing a great job with that. And, yeah, it's, it's going to be a great year. You bring up Tony Sperano Jr., and he's a name that a lot of Colts fans are excited about, what he was able to do in New York and the opportunity for him to revitalize and help further develop you guys on the offensive line. Well, what was Tony's initial messaging to you when, when he first took the job, when he first had those initial meetings? And how have you guys come along to this point in training camp? I mean, his message always stayed the same. I mean, he was new to the room, and um, he told us right away he was going to treat everyone the same. Um, there's no such thing as guaranteed starter. And so we all had to just, you know, put the work in this offseason and prove ourselves over and over again, and that continues um, right now during, during fall camp. And 
but yeah, at the same time, also he is encouraging us, you know, to to be ourselves and to play into our strengths. And yeah, so he he he's challenging us, but then at the same time, he's also rewarding us if we do things right. And um, he's the first one to point out that you know if a play does go well, that who's you know who was the reason for that and. Um, we, we kind of build off of that, too. Indianapolis Colts starting left tackle, Bernard Ryman. Nice enough to take some time with us here on the Fan Midday Show. Bernard, for those of us that are never going to have the task of having to block 300-pound opponents that are coming at us full speed, I imagine that is a, a, a unique task that's asked of you when you're helping block two different styles of quarterback I know it's very early in camp but does your approach change at all with Minshew and Richardson both having unique styles of play in the pocket um I mean not really either way you know you're trying to keep the pocket clean you're trying to protect the quarterback and um, you're just playing to the end of the whistle. I mean, it doesn't matter if you have a quarterback that likes to roll out or that one or someone that prefers to stay in the pocket. Either way, you gotta, um, you know, finish your block, finish your play, and make sure that uh, your defensive lineman doesn't even touch the quarterback. And that just, you know, stays the same regardless of who's back there. Now, Bernard, my days of putting on muscle are, are over, and that's probably a, a sad take on life considering I'm only 28 years old. But all that said, uh, I understand that you've put on some muscle this offseason and, and trying to continue to bulk up as you work into year two. What has that been like for, for you from that transition process in terms of trying to add on more muscle and focus on that portion of your development so it translates to more on-the-field success? Yeah, obviously, I mean, uh, put on some weight and it, it helps a ton out on the football field. Um, you know, it makes me feel a lot more comfortable. It, it, it makes settling down on the ball rush a lot easier. It makes the, the run blocking easier. And yeah, so I think overall it's just helped, it's just helped me a lot. And, um, you know, grateful for the good food that my wife's been cooking <laughs> for me this all season. So um, that's been great. And yeah, so I'm just going to keep keep doing what I'm doing. Well, what's the What's the best dish that Mrs. Ryan and cooks up. Well, can, can you can you share with us a little bit of the of maybe not the recipe, but just what are we working with this off season? Oh, um, you know a lot of you know um, different like chicken recipes, like chicken and sausage, sauce okay. like uh, pasta and stuff. But um, overall, like more on the healthier side. Um, you know, nothing too greasy. But um, I mean, from the from pasta to um, you know uh, chicken. It's it's really pretty much everything. Are, are you are you a fast food guy at all for like a cheat day? And if so, do you have a go to spot? <laughs> I'm I'm trying to stay away, but I am a big Chick Fil A guy. Yes, and <laughs> so I really sometimes I can't stay away, especially on like road trips or something. But I'm trying my best to, you know, eat at home. It's, it's healthier and cheaper, so I'm trying to do that. Man, I feel you. The Chick-fil-A call is is a serious thing. We're just joking with my, my producer, Eddie Garris, so and we're going to go get some uh, a little bit later here today. So I, I feel you on that. Last thing before oh, – oh, actually, Chick-fil-A sauce or no? Oh, yeah. Okay, absolutely. good. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a non-starter for me. I just want to make sure you were in the same camp. Last question before we get you out of here. Bernard Ryman, starting left tackle for your Indianapolis Colts. Taking some time with us here on the Fan Midday Show. I know Austria, in terms of closeness to Germany, is about the closest you'll get for relatives or family members. And I'm sure they're all very hyped about that matchup in November against New England. Uh, how many ticket requests have you gotten since that matchup went? And how many family members and friends do you anticipate being out there for you when the Colts take on the Patriots? 
<laughs> yeah, I've gotten quite a lot. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm talking to the um, ops guys here, and we're still trying to figure out how many tickets I can get. Um, but, you know, the most important thing is for my parents and my, my grandma to come. Um, so we'll definitely get the tickets for them. And, yeah, we'll, we'll see who, who else can make it. That's really cool, Bernard. Well, congratulations again on the development you'll be able to have this offseason. Again, the stride you hit last year. And best of luck as the season gets closer and closer, okay? Thank you so much. It's Bernard Ryman, starting left tackle for the Indianapolis Colts. I slightly led him astray there at the end because we taped that conversation, but me and Eddie made the Chick-fil-A run, ladies and gentlemen. You can hear the ice for the radio audience well, medium. Well, one of us made the Chick-fil-A run. I offered to get you chicken. You said no. I know. I'm just saying you made the run over Oh, there. okay. I thought you meant like that no. I had chicken and you did not. Yes, you're right. I did make the run. Look at look at let's 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 uh let's toot my own horror for horror for a second. Look at my unselfishness here. Not only did I gather Chick Fil A for us, went on foot, but I also was willing to go buy you chicken. I mean that that's got to get me at least two stars, correct? I mean two stars. What are we for? What? I don't. What even, am I rating I, you on? I, I, well, at this point with your curve, I was going on a five star scale. I figured surely you wouldn't give me five. Well, no, like what app am I rating you on? Am oh, I um, DoorDash? Are we doing Uber Eats? Are we doing Grubhub? Like what are we doing here? I think it's just called Cooks. Oh, nice. Like that? Yes. Yeah, I need to need to trade five star. Hey, five I, star. Oh, look at you! What a guy! Incredible hospitality, my delivery system. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Even though I did throw some straws at Eddie, <laughs> um, but look, I, I look. Everybody has cheat days, right? For some people like My myself, <laughs> for some people like myself, uh, cheat days are very often. But yeah, the Chick Fil A call is one that you cannot refuse, and it's a tough one to do so. So I understand the pain there from Bernard Ryman. But yeah, if you're not Team Chick Fil A sauce, I don't have time for you. I don't. You got you got to be on the on the Chick Fil A sauce team. Are you with me on that or no? I'm indifferent. Come on, man. I'm. Uh, it's not the first sauce of choice. From Chick Fil A, get it? Yep. Not. It's not the first. I want to make sure I get that sentence right. It's not the first sauce of choice. Chick Fil A sauce. Nope. Is not the first sauce of choice at Chick Fil A. Nope. Okay. That honey roasted barbecue. Mm. My wife goes Polynesian sauce, so it's. I understand. It's. I'm. I'm alone in this battle, at least with you and her, apparently. So, but not Bernard Ryman. I I didn't say I didn't hate the Chick Fil A sauce. Yeah, but it's It's not your go-to. Yeah, not your go-to. And. Yeah, I, I I respect. And if I use the sauce, it's when I get nuggets. It's when I get nuggets, and I use it for my fries occasionally. I am embarrassed to say the amount of these sauce packets I go through YouTube audience on a number one, which is a chicken sandwich. I'm not just a nugget dunker. I'm going to dunk the whole darn sandwich right into the Chick Fil A sauce. Aside from the food topics that ended that interview, though. From Bernard Ryman's overall standpoint, we talked a lot about Michael Pittman Jr. and the turmoil that he's gone through with, you know, not having a consistent quarterback under center. What a rookie year to have to go through for Bernard Ryman and whether or not you believe in him as a starting left tackle in the future, everybody's going to have that debate on that. But he did look the part at times towards the back end of last season. He's put on a lot of muscle. You hope that builds and continues you definitely hope it does if you're Tony Sprano Jr., Shane Steichen, or Anthony Richardson when it comes to protecting the most valuable asset on that team. Still to come, a conversation with David Kaplan. A quick segment when we come back on the Fan Midday Show. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, the drivehuber.com studios. We talked about fantasy football team names a little bit earlier. It was a nice piece by Nick Cotton Jim on 1075thefan.com highlighting all-time great fantasy football team names. Uh, we gave the preface that uh, <laughs> we have to keep these PG. And regrettably, Eddie, uh, mine are lame. There's nothing too crazy out there. But there's a lot of names that uh, my family and friends have used that are not uh, applicable for air. Uh, the one that is just like clever play on words that we'll use. Um, instead of Jamison Crowder, buddy of mine was living in Boston at the time. Uh, Jameson Chowder is what he, what he went with there. I know. That's very. That, that's not good at all. But that, that's what we're working with. Did you find one on your archives or that, that was a favorite of yours? Uh, no, but um, team names? no, this year uh, I've got first overall pick in our keeper league. So nice. Uh, I will be Bed Bath and Bijan. I like it. I really do. I, I applaud you for that. Well done. Was it yours or did you find it? There's no shame either way. Uh, I found it. Okay. I originally was going to be Bijan Mustard. <laughs> Because a Dijon mustard, but he, but Bijan does have his own mustard company. Thank you, I I appreciate that. I did not know that part. That's a good nugget. But but the uh, uh, I thank you for clarifying me about the mustard part. I I, I, I well, was it just specifically you? I understand. Yeah. Well, of course, there's another one I want to use, but I told you I can't use it on air. And that's very mature of you. I look at you being being a very disciplined producer. I'll just say the first two words. <laughs> I wouldn't even do that. Amun Ra, and then you can just fill in the blank. Okay, yeah. You're talking about St. Brown, of course. I mean, that's yeah. that's all that's all that we need yeah. of, of that of that sentence. I will tease this yeah, dog. that you'll care about and that the audience probably doesn't, but you'll get a kick out of it. You said your draft order was already set. Draft order, yes, set because it's inverse standings of uh, since it's a keeper league, we keep five players. Uh, so the team with the worst regular season record, a.k.a. me this year, I uh, guess first overall pick. Well, as you know, I have had some unique ways for our draft order to be decided, including giving league members IndyCar drivers. Fun. We've gone the Kentucky Derby route as well. Nice. There's another one that we're breaking out this year that I will Ooh. share with you. Is it golf? At 2.30. Sorry. It's not golf. <clears throat> I believe says, we have... Golf. <laughs> I believe we have done that in the past, but in this particular instance, it is not golf, but I will share it with you at 2.30. I'm intrigued. And see how you feel about the evaluation of where that draft order will be. Plus, more Colts, and in fact, we'll zoom out and look at the Colts and Dawg Bears. We'll have a conversation with David Kaplan of ESPN 1000, one of our favorites. Cubs are hot. Justin Fields has some pretty significant MVP money coming his way in terms of bets. That and so much more with the Catman David Kaplan. We come back on the Fan Midday Show. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook coming to you from the drivehubler.com studios. As we mentioned, Colts camp wrapped up just a few hours ago. Still no updates on DeForest Buckner having injured his foot during practice. Shane Steichen had mentioned that 
and clarified on the injury, but he was able to get up on his own accord with the assistance of the training staff. But again, no updates on that front. And then Michael Pittman Jr., of course, gave his comments to the media regarding where he stands on a potential contract extension. Jonathan Taylor, of course, the biggest storyline. And the other piece on the horizon is joint practices with the Colts and the Bears. We'll cover that, plus some Cubs love as well with one of our favorites. He's David Kaplan of ESPN 1000 in Chicago. David, thanks so much for making some time for us. Always appreciate talking with you, Cap. And as you look and zoom out outside of this, with where the running back situation has gone, let's just start broadly, not with John and Taylor, but broadly. Is there any solution for running backs in the NFL, or is it just wait till 2030 and, and see what happens? You know, I think that you look at where the running back position is, it's still vitally important. They just don't want to pay these dudes. That, that's just a fact. They want to use them up, and usually the running back has been the most dominant player at a skill position growing up, so they always get ridden hard, and they don't want to let them get to a second contract, which is disappointing to me. It really is, because I think guys like Jonathan Taylor and some of these other players are really good players. They have to understand, though, this is the way the game is today. The game is much more through the air than on the ground, even though you still have to be able to run the football to win. You can't run. You cannot win in the National Football League. So I I don't know how you solve this unless you give them bigger money earlier in their career. But, you know, Isaiah Pacheco is a seventh-round pick. You're not going to give him huge money early. Yeah, for every Bijan Robinson and Saquon Barkley, there's 30 guys that are running the ball that are not picked in the top two rounds. So I don't know how you fix it. Cap, in that same vein of how much the league has changed, I'm sure you saw this and you lived it when it happened, but there was a piece on The Athletic a couple days ago where Matt Forte talked about his experiences in Chicago versus the stuff that he referenced Saquon specifically because unlike Taylor, he's actually on a tag year. JT still has one more year on his contract. But just in that span of 12 years, how drastic has this situation changed compared to what Forte dealt with and ultimately got a deal done with the Bears to where we're at now? Uh, again, as we, Jimmy, start to see more and more emphasis on the vertical passing game with Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow and hopefully someday Justin Fields here in Chicago, that's going to de-emphasize how much you want to spend on your running back. But if you really look back in history – when Mike Shanahan was the head coach in Denver, he developed this zone concept blocking system, and he had a six-round pick named Terrell Davis who ends up going to the Hall of Fame. So there are a lot of teams that say, I'm going to put my money into a great offensive line, a great quarterback, some really good receivers, and I could stick Jimmy Cook back there, and if I'm blocking well enough, I can do enough in the run game. Do I agree with that philosophy all the time? No. I do think there are certain guys, the kid Nick Chubb, who's just so good and so dominant. Saquon Barkley, so good, so dominant. And your guy, Jonathan Taylor, so good. But they better be realistic. And if he sits out, I'm not saying he will or won't, but if he did, he's insane. You'll never get the money back. I remember talking to the late Todd Bell. He sat out the 85 Bears season. He didn't like what they offered, so he sat out. And before he passed away, 
He said to me, biggest mistake ever. I could never recoup the money. I missed out on the Super Bowl run, and it will haunt me forever. Kev, I, I asked this last week. We had Charles McDonald, who covers the NFL for Yahoo Sports. I asked him this question. I want to get your take on it as well. You mentioned that throughout time, there's been instances of players holding out of a number of different positions, but the most notable at the running back spot that's often cited is Le'Veon Bell in 2018. We've had a CBA since then, the 2020 CBA that was agreed upon with all the time and effort that's spent trying to get that done, both from the Players Association and the owners, how much blame, if any, goes on the Players Association for not having the foresight to see what was already a, a contentious issue within running backs at the time? Well, some of it's got to go on them. They signed off on this. You know, people think, boy, those cruel owners, they're really taking advantage. No, they're not. You guys signed the deal. You overwhelmingly approved it. So if they didn't like the deal then they shouldn't have signed the deal. But they did. So they can't complain now. Um, look, guys like Derrick Henry, they got their money. He was such a vital part of that team that they basically don't have a team without Derrick Henry when they went to the playoffs the last couple of years. This Jonathan Taylor situation is unfortunate. He's a hell of a football player. But guess what? If he sits out, He's going to look back when they go, God, I left millions of dollars on the table. If we were instead having these same conversations around the Bears, let's just say, and while I, too, enjoy the philanthropy side of things and reading those good stories, but if, let's just say, $20 million was attached to the McCaskey family to help move an orca whale cross-country when the running back in town is looking at 16 to $20 million reportedly, uh, potentially for his contract negotiations, how would that sit in Chicago? Would it be a nothing story? Would it be as chaotic and just it's another circus move? What would be the takeaways there? People would, would side with the team. And no running back is going to get 16 to $20 million. Yep. It's not going to happen. And would Saquon comes into camp and takes 11, Jonathan Taylor is, again, I hear only good things about him as a person. He's a hell of a football player. That's a fact. The bottom line is no running backs getting that kind of money. Just not going to happen. Not going to happen at all. So, uh, he, I don't know how you, I don't know how you resolve it. I really don't. He's going to have to, he's going to have to absolutely just decide I got to play. I got to play. I got to get my money. And show up. The fact that so. the fact that it appears, Cap, that he wants a market setting type of a market resetting type of contract, that's also a big element in my mind why even if Ursay says he's not trading him, why there might not be significant interest from other teams, because even if you make the argument, okay, we get him on a one year rental, uh, the Colts aren't gonna give him away for peanuts. It, it's a it's a lose lose situation for him, is it not? Yeah, the Colts, why would the Colts do that? I mean, no one's calling and giving you a high first-round pick for him. No one's giving you a second-round pick for a one-year commitment from a running back. Like, the Bears have two number-one picks. I keep seeing the Chicago Bears will be the team that most interested in – I can promise you, promise you, Ryan Poles is not doing that. Absolutely 
not going to do it. That's not who he is. He is salivating to be able to use his two picks and be able to uh, look at his team and go, you know what, I was able to get a new quarterback if he has to, an edge rusher, maybe Marvin Harrison. That's what he's looking at. He is not giving a high pickup to get Jonathan Taylor, and I don't think anyone in the league is. David Kaplan of ESPN 1000, nice enough to join us here on the Fan Midday Show. I want to get to where Bears are at, where Justin Fields are at, and the countdown to joint practices with the Colts and the Bears in just a second. But if you're following David Kaplan on Twitter, which you should be, you've seen the recaps, and there's been highs and lows for the recaps of the Chicago Cubs, but a lot of highs recently. Uh, you'll forgive my producer, Eddie Garrison. He's a big Reds fan, so it's come at their expense the last couple they of nights. He shell-shocked right now. <laughs> Eddie, do you want to share how you were last night? Uh, I was just disappointed with that, whatever that performance was. Like, pretty sure a 13 year old well, travel team could have played better than that. Well, explain to me how you have this really good athletic young team and you don't add on at the deadline, Sam Mall notwithstanding. How do you not go get some type of a start? That team's talented enough if they had more pitching in this National League. If I told you last year, that the Atlanta Braves were going to get knocked out in round one, you wouldn't have believed me. And they did. Gone. And all of a sudden, the team that no one thought was going to get there, the Phillies, who fired their manager, Joe Girardi, my dear friend, all of a sudden, they're in the World Series, one heartbeat from winning a world championship. The Reds are talented enough to do that. They are, if they had more pitching. Yeah, I don't. I, I could not believe you didn't push your chips in. Yeah, I don't understand why they didn't go out for starting pitching either. I don't know how you can rely on Luke Weaver and Ben Lively to be your fourth and fifth starting pitcher in the postseason if you make it there. And now Lively's on the injured list. And Yeah, that's just code for I suck and we're going to put you on the injured list now. Yeah, I don't get it. I really don't. Do you get the turnaround for the Cubs? Because I'll be honest, it surprised me. It took me only two and a half back now. Cap, we don't need to, to chastise me for being a Yankees fan, but I, yeah, I was hoping Cody Bellinger was going to be headed to the Bronx, and uh, that was never the case, and now it's a turnaround season for the Cubs. Two and a half back. What's the biggest attribution in your mind for those that haven't seen the recaps on Twitter? Uh, they've been outstanding offensively, but they built the best defensive team in the National League, and that's without question, the best defensive team in the National League. And I argued this with so many people at the start of the year. They're not that good defensively. Well, hold on a second. If Cody Bellinger is at first, which he's been doing a lot of, he's a gold glove defender. Nico Horner was a gold glove finalist. Dansby Swanson won a gold glove. Okay, we weren't great at third. Candelario makes us a hell of a lot better. Ian Happ won a gold glove. Talkman is no slouch out there, and say Suzuki's a plus defender. And then we have a catcher, Gomes, who's a gold glove caliber defender, and Barnhart, who won a gold glove. So all of a sudden, people are looking and going, wow, you, if the Cubs can put any type of offense together and just be decent pitching, they're going to catch what you hit. So it's interesting to see how the perspective on the Cubs has changed as their offense has gotten better. I'm not telling you they're going to win the division. I'm not telling you they're going to win the World Series. I'm telling you they're a way better team than anyone gave them credit for. And you mentioned that you saw that to start the year. And, and to borrow from for my Yankees for just a second, the prevailing thought in New York is that, well, 
look at all the hitters that they have that are having career lows, eventually they'll turn it around. As you mentioned, maybe the Cubs weren't as on point right out of the gate as you thought they would be, but now they're showing that they are the team that you envisioned they'd be to start the year. Is this a true corner turn, and is it sustainable in your mind as we enter the final month or so of the regular season? Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're going to score like this. I know they have 50% more runs scored since the uh, All-Star break than anyone in baseball. 50% more. Like, that's not sustainable. It just isn't. They're not going to go out tonight, I don't think, and blood's in the reds again for another, you know, 20, 16, whatever. Maybe I'll be surprised. The weather's warm. The ball's flying at Wrigley. But they have got to address their starting pitching. And there's nowhere to turn other than in your system now. That means, like, tonight. Jameis and Tyone has thrown the ball really well his last five starts. He has got to go out and make that his last six starts. He has to pitch really well. The bullpen's been much better. And then they got to continue to do what they're doing. And that is grind their at-bats. Get into the soft part of a team's bullpen. The Reds have had to turn to their catcher, their backup catcher, two days in a row. That bullpen's beleaguered. Well, if you can find a way to keep them in the ballpark and not allow them to get a lead and get comfortable, the Cubs have a chance to take three out of four in the series. And when they get up tomorrow morning, they're going to be two games out in the division and I believe one and a half in the wild card. David Kaplan with us. You can follow him on Twitter, at the Catman. Of course, you can hear him. Monday through Friday, 7 to 10 a.m. on ESPN 1000 with Cap and Jay Hood. And, of course, get the recap on YouTube as well as those posts corresponding with it on Twitter. Cap, let's go to the Bears. My producer, Eddie, had shared with me that a couple of sports books are reporting the handle they're getting on Justin Fields to win the MVP this year is higher than what they're getting right now on the likes of Mahomes, on Herbert, and on Allen. From your standpoint, is that the expectation for Fields? Is it an MVP-like season, or is it he is a starter? He's a consistent starter. He's proven it. Where's your line for him this year? So I was at practice yesterday, and by the way, that stat that Eddie was referring to, so there was a sports book that reported they have more tickets on Justin Fields to win MVP than Herbert Mahomes and Allen combined. Mm. Combined. <laughs> I was at practice yesterday, and and I'm a Justin Fields guy. But I will tell you that's the worst offensive practice I've seen in my 25 years covering this team. Man. They were horrible yesterday. Horrible. And I, I'm not with everybody else that he can win the MVP this year. I think he's a good football player, and I think he's got to take steps and prove that he's the guy this year, or they're going to move on. They got two number one picks. If Carolina's pick is high or the Bears have a bad year and their pick's high, they're going to move on. I'm telling you, that would be stunning to people who are betting him to win MVP. Now, I think he can take that next step. I don't think the Bears have enough depth to have you know, a 10, 11, 12-win season. I just don't see that. I think they're still a good draft class next year away and another free agency period where they then in 2015 425. Now we should be built and ready to go. This year? No, I've got them 7 and 10. Bad health, 6. Unbelievable health, 8. That's where I have the bear. Cap, is there a world where, let's say not on field's fault, but just the construction of the team as a whole, they are in that Caleb Williams territory, but but field's numbers are, are 
solid. He looks the part, but it's not leading to the type of winning they were expecting this year. Let's say they miss your seven-win total. You mentioned the first-round picks they have at their disposal. Would that still be on the table to look at quarterback, even though maybe it doesn't look like it's Fields that's the problem? Uh, Look, they would love to reset the quarterback contract calendar. <laughs> like Justin's going to be up for a con- – and it's not because they don't want to pay right. Justin. If he goes out this year and they win 11 games and you're like, that dude's top five in the league, they're going to sign him and pay him. They don't care. They love him. He's their guy. They they absolutely think he's a great leader. But if he – if there's gray there, like, I don't know. Is he good enough? I'm not sure. They're going to take Caleb Williams or Drake May or J.J. McNamara or J.J. McCarthy, I think it is or Michael Penix. One of those four are the guys right now at the top of the list. They can get Caleb Williams. Yeah, they'll take him if this kid leaves any doubt whatsoever. For you, Cap, we talked about it earlier with joint practices and how that is the way of the land now, it feels like, with teams in terms of, yeah, sure, preseason game number four used to be dress rehearsals, but now these joint practices provide so much value and intel for teams. I know you mentioned worst practice you've seen in 20-plus in years, but is that where everything is put together now in today's NFL, is your mind, in training camp, is when these joint practices take place, or do you still yourself value the preseason? Uh, I don't value the preseason. I really don't. Like I, I was arguing with this with my guys on my show today. I would play Justin some, some in the preseason this year. Five and twenty-five as a starter. Now that's not all his fault. He had a terrible team, but I got to know, dude. Can you read the defense and get the ball out quickly? That was a problem last year. He's not. Tom Brady played in the preseason. He's not Aaron Rodgers. This kid who if Aaron says, I'm not playing, I'll be ready to go opening day. Okay, great. You're going to the Hall of Fame. I get it. (laughs) Justin needs some reps. Am I playing him four quarters? No. Am I playing him all three games? No. But he's going to get some time in week one, and for me he's going to play half the game in week two. And then we can move on. And people who go, what if he gets hurt? He's a football player, man. Guys get hurt. It's, It's sad. It's part of the game. He needs reps to develop. Now, these joint practices, I think they should be really interesting because you're going up against guys who don't play your plays. I was a college basketball coach. It drove me nuts when we're trying to run our offense and the defensive guys, they're on the team. They know the offense. They're playing the play, and they're jumping a route and jumping in and stealing a pass for me. Drove me nuts, guys. Please. I know you know the plays. Well, against the Colts, they don't know the plays. So it should be something to look at. It's not the be-all, end-all. David Kaplan was of ESPN 1000 in Chicago. Cap, for the last couple of quarterbacks that took that big leap forward, I'm looking at Jalen Hurts, I'm looking at Josh Allen, you saw at some point in their rookie contract the front office realize, we need to go get him a weapon. Whether it was Stephon Diggs in Buffalo, whether it was A.J. Brown in Philadelphia, now the Bears think they have that in D.J. Moore. Is that the expectation in your mind that, okay, now we have him the weapon that he needs. Let's go out and see that step forward from him. Maybe not the win. Everybody wants to win. We know that. But we need to see that developmental leap because we have the wide receiver weapon for him now. Uh, I think that they feel like they greatly improved their team by getting D.J. Moore, which they did. But their wide receiver room is not 
top five in the NFL now. Chase Claypool has a lot to prove. Darnell Mooney, like him. He's coming back from an ankle injury that required surgery. Like him. He's small. He's not great. He's a good player. So they don't have enough weapons for me. They're not Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown or Tyreek Kill and Jalen Wall. We don't have that. That's not what's, what's going on here. So they've given him a lot of help. Our number one pick, the ninth overall was Darnell, or tenth overall was Darnell Wright. And he'll be locked in at right tackle, and everyone believes he's going to be a really outstanding football player. They still have holes. They still need depth. Defensively, the back seven yesterday dominated practice. So I like their linebackers. I like their corners. I like their safeties. I don't like their defensive line. They got two young kids, a second and a third round pick up front in Dexter and Pickens. Those guys have to develop. I mean, how many guys come right from college, second and third round picks, and are dominant forces on the D-line? That's rare. That doesn't happen. So it's going to take more time. Cap, last thing before I let you go. I know you're not near the situation, but you've seen enough football to have a, a feel on this. Where do you stand on the never-ending debate that we have right now in Indianapolis, which is, does Anthony Richardson start week one or sit week one? I won't bore you with the tea leaves. He's taken first-team reps the last two days, but there's been times where Minshew has it. Where do you stand on let the rookie sit a little versus if he has the goods, go put him out there? Like, Joe Burrow had the goods and had been an amazing, amazing college player. I don't think that's the case with Anthony Richardson. I don't. I think he's wildly gifted. I was playing blackjack in Vegas first weekend in March, and a guy sits down, can I join you and your wife? Yeah, and we're playing. What do you do for a living? He said, oh, I'm a football coach. I'm just on a little vacation before we get really cranked up with minicamp and the draft and all that. And we start talking football. I said, who's the best quarterback in the draft? He said, it's not close. It's Anthony Richardson. Not even close. I said, seriously. He said, most gifted prospect I've seen in years. But he said, whoever takes him, better not play him at the start. He is not ready to process at that level against those athletes. He said, he's got all the gifts. He needs to be seasoned. So when I hear that from an NFL guy, it's already cements what I already believe. I would not start in week one. Uh, are you a selfish blackjack player, or are you? do you care about the others around you at the table? Um, I, I try to play only by the rules. I mean, <laughs> like, even when it hurts, when I'm like, oh, God, I'm sitting at 16, dealer's got the 10, and I know there's a 10 under there. Uh, I got to take the hit. I got to do it for the table. So I am not a selfish player. I play the right way. Expect nothing less from you, Cap. It's always great to catch up. I hope to see you soon and really appreciate you making time for me. Anytime, man. Have a great day, JC. You too. That is the Cap Man, David Kaplan. You can follow him on Twitter, at the Cap Man. And of course, if you happen to be outside of Eddie's realm, that is to say, in Cubs fandom, because Eddie, of course, is a royal, loyal Reds fan. Got the word twist up there. You can get the recaps every night from David Kaplan, both on YouTube. And then, of course, you can hear him 7 to 10 a.m. ESPN 1000, Kaplan J. Hood in the mornings. The Justin Fields expectations are sky high. And you can kind of see, even though the comparisons are forced a little bit, you can see with where Fields is the type of pressure and immediate results in a three-year window that are asked of franchise quarterbacks. Anthony Richardson does not have that right now, 
but that is the harsh reality that quarterbacks face in the NFL. Especially so when, as Cap pointed out, the Bears have as much draft capital as they do. It would not be out of the realm of reason to think that the Bears, if things don't look like they're trending towards franchise quarterback territory, they would go get a Caleb Williams next year if they have a high enough pick to do it. I do love, by the way, Eddie, on a side note, and I know this breaks my wife's heart because she's a diehard IU football fan. What a journey it's been for Michael Penix Jr. From being right here in our own backyard to obviously ending up in Washington and now being maybe not the first name off the top of your head, but a name that is brought up in terms of quarterbacks that could be selected in next year's draft. It's it's wild to me. I'm not saying there's regret there necessarily, but man, what a ride it's been for Michael Penix Jr. Right. You just have to feel proud of him. Like all the adversities overcome between the injuries and then, you know, playing poorly here at Indiana after that promising 2020 season. And then he goes out to Washington, reunites with uh, Kalen DeBoer, and boom, what do you know? He looks like the quarterback that Hoosiers fans saw him play like in 2020 <laughs> what do you know jimmy yeah you, uh, you move the oc or the oc leaves and uh not the same player and then he goes back to that oc and what do you know so are you saying that uh whichever team drafts him should also uh pick up his oc steal him from washington is what you're saying well i'm saying is he uh <laughs> if he is drafted into the nfl which sounds like he is by whatever team yeah. you draft him with i think he'll be in the i think he'll be in good hands at least you would think so with, you know, being an offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach in the NFL. You are the best of the best of the best, sir. With honors. If you have that quote, you can put it in the YouTube chat. If you know where that's from special inside joke for Eddie and I, Michael Penix Jr. Speaking of him is quarterback in the pac 12. And speaking of the pac 12, a lot of chaos going on within that conference and it impacts the big 10 in a unique way. We'll dive into that. when we return on the fan midday show. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's absolute chaos. No, not at Colts camp this time. Out west for the Pac-12. This continued circus of what is going to happen for teams within that conference, and really teams that don't find themselves in the Big Ten or the SEC or that identify themselves as Notre Dame. Those are really the main safe havens. I know maybe you could push back depending on where you lie on Notre Dame's stake and everything, but still as of right now, they appear to be good where they are. But if you're not in one of those three buckets, you are looking for a seat at the table before the music stops. And the Pac-12 struggling and struggling to find a more friendly to the league itself media rights deal. It was reports earlier this week that maybe Apple was going to be involved. And now the Big Ten has its name potentially back into the West Coast to try to bring in more from that very conference. This has been from a number of different spots. Pete Thamel's had it over at ESPN. Dan Wetzel has it over for Yahoo. But this from Wetzel's column, the sources, Big Ten narrows focus 
on Oregon and Washington. There's been plans discussed to maybe expand to 20 teams, but sources indicate an 18 school league would be more likely that would leave out Cal and Stanford. This would be something that would be potentially arriving in 2024 per Dan Wetzel, a smaller two-team expansion that would favor broadcast partners seemed more likely to occur as of this afternoon. Now, there's also speculation of is the Big Ten or our conferences trying to put a little bit more pressure on what Arizona is going to do as by all accounts with what's left of the Pac-12 or what will be left of the Pac-12 next season with UCLA and USC set to join the Big Ten next year. By the way, I feel like we forget about that with everything else that's happened in sports and happens on a daily basis that there's going to be UCLA, USC, and Purdue, and IU, and Wisconsin, and Michigan State battles. You're throwing the Trojans and the Bruins into that conversation. But the big player that's left standing is Arizona. And what are they going to do? And is this move trying to force the Wildcats potentially to leave for the Big 12? But I want to bring Eddie into this conversation as a fellow college football fan. Let's start first with next year. Okay. As it stands, no new teams added to the pot. It is just the additions of USC and UCLA. I was very excited about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ecstatic that that's going to happen. I'm at a point where, whatever, the whole, oh, the prestige of conferences and, oh, what about the legacy? I don't care. I want the mm-hmm. best football possible. I, I'm more than welcome, more than happy to welcome in schools from different areas. And on top of it all, unless you're a Big Ten Network watcher, you won't remember what I'm about to reference. But I love the Big Ten's campaign ad about how it's a conference that you know is spread across the country. Yeah, and it starts on the East Coast and it you know continues to go and go and go until you yeah. go through Nebraska and Iowa. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I look forward to the redesign of that and it being the entire map. It being straight from East Coast to West Coast. Yeah. I've accepted that, and that's already going to happen in 2024. So you two were excited about that news that we learned last year. Oh, I mean, yeah, anyone should be excited that you're adding more competition. And I think it's only going to help schools in terms of recruiting, too. Like, if you look at the Midwest teams, you have to recruit better. Like, your recruiting has to be better because you have to compete against teams now that are on the West Coast. And it's like, oh, I can go to the Big Ten, and I can be in Cali now. I don't, I don't have to be in the Midwest uh, so yeah, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to bring some different um, energy around certain sports, and I'm also fascinated to see how teams adjust because, like, you've got USC and the, and UCLA, like they're much more different in terms of their play style because they were in the Pac-12. They're mm-hmm. much more of an offense driven, and the Big Ten is more of smash mouth football. So I'm interested to see uh, how much of an adjustment there is between the new teams that are joining the Big Ten and how. The new the teams that are already in the Big Ten are adjusting in terms of football, basketball. That's an easy adjustment because you just prepare by the opponent. From USC and UCLA standpoint, the reports around the situation are that they're not too pom pom waving about the idea of more Pac-12 schools arriving because they're leaving they have, that conference they're for leave, a reason. They're leaving the conference for a reason, and they do have an advantage as it stands right now, those two programs, in theory, if you're looking at the pipeline game, 
of established areas on the West Coast. We know how modern recruiting is. You can go anywhere you want, but you have that pull of being, oh, we're in the Big Ten now, and you can have these type of games and, and cross-country experiences and have these historic rivalries going on while still having a campus at home on the West Coast. You add in more West Coast schools, and naturally that advantage kind of dwindles. The reason that Arizona is the biggest power player left is, again, this from Dan Weltel's article on Yahoo Sports, is that if Arizona stays in the Pac-12 and they try to stabilize things, the thought is the Big Ten would stand down and remain as a 16-team league in 2024. But if Arizona leaves for the Pac-12, and then let's say maybe Arizona State or Utah went with them, (laughs) it makes things very, very just confusing and just very dreadful on the Pac-12 side of things for what the league's going to look like moving forward. And ultimately, it might dissolve entirely to where the Big Ten would be in a position to throw a lifeline to some schools, potentially offering membership to Oregon and Washington. So we'll start there. Adding Oregon and Washington. I, again, am at the point where the conferences are in whose line is in anywhere territory, which is everything is made up. And the points don't matter. Exactly. So I let's make it a 20-team league. I'm, I'm, I, it's fine. I've accepted it now. It is what it is. We're only a few years away probably from there being like maybe three or four legitimate power conferences, if that, and then everybody else. Yeah. Oregon and Washington arrived at a Big Ten. Your initial reaction, if that does happen, again, hasn't happened yet. If the lot that still has to play out, ball is in Arizona's court, it feels like well, the Big Ten did get authorization and authorized their the board director, did the commissioner, to explore Washington and Oregon. I will say it, it will be interesting in the aspect of like just being able to consume the conference if it does expand to the twenty-ish teams because like like comparatively speaking here, you look at the three major professional leagues in the NFL, MLB, and uh, NFL, NFL, NBA, and MLB. They all have like their own streaming service. You have the MLB.tv, NFL Sunday Ticket, and NBA League Pass. So like to the aspect of like you're a west coast fan and you want to watch ohio state play michigan like is there going to be a streaming service now where you can watch all these teams like a big 10 plus or something along those lines or anything like that at this point it'd be peacock right but yeah right um but anyway like if you're adding these teams like what's your objective are you trying to improve a specific sports quality or overall product and when you add washington uh to me that would be strictly uh, softball and football because they are that's what they're known for. Their basketball team is very subpar, um, and that's that's how I would look at it. If you're trying to expand more teams, it's like okay, what are we trying to accomplish? Are we trying to improve the overall product of the conference, sport to sport, or are we just driven to try to improve the overall product of football or basketball? Oregon is a big player on both sides. I know you mentioned that. Yep. Additionally, that's why I could see them making sense because they're so good. They're good in many sports. But from another perspective, and it's money, right? The answer at the end of the day is is money. Yeah, you want to continue. You want to, if you're the Big Ten, be the best conference in all of college athletics to the point that it's no longer the SEC that's viewed as the must-have. Send all our money there, and the SEC is not going anywhere. I'm not saying that, but the reason you would add more in theory is to be able to go into a meeting room with a 
NBC executive or an ESPN executive, CBS, whatever, any of those, and say, this is our body of work. We're the best conference in all of college athletics. I will throw in there why it would make sense to add Washington as well. There's many rivalries with Washington, but one of the most passionate ones is that Washington-Oregon rivalry. It would make sense to at least have them from another selling point of keeping some continuity of West Coast and East Coast. All that said, though, and why this makes more sense from a dollars and cents standpoint for current teams of the Big Ten, and I'm talking about current teams of the Big Ten for 2024. That includes USC and UCLA. In a world where Arizona and Arizona State bolt to, let's just say, the Big 12, and the Big Ten then swoops in and and just picks the meat off the carcass of what's left in the Pac-12, if that's the scenario that plays out, the Big Ten would likely, again, this from Dan Wetzel's article, offer membership to Oregon and Washington, but a discounted share of league revenue. Perhaps, Dan speculates, as low as 50% of league revenue for a few years. So if you're an Oregon fan, you're looking at that, and it's like, things aren't great, right? When you look at that from that perspective, Eddie? Need some help over there? Yeah, I do. You need to answer it. I did. Yes, thank you. I was like, I was waiting for you to ask a question. I was like, where's the question coming here? <laughs> Come in here. I'll let you get a drink of water. Uh, hopefully you're not dying on me over here. Yeah, I'm fine. Thank okay. you. Thank you for... <laughs> Addressing that as publicly as we needed to, well, I appreciate they, it. They can see well, on camera. Ra- the camera can, but the audience can. I'm they looking can for hear a it in your here. voice. I tried to fight through it. I couldn't do it. We didn't have a fine bucket. It is what it is. It's a seven-year, eight billion-dollar media rights deal. But uh, here's another aspect of it that we should probably talk about too, Jimmy. Is like you're adding all these West Coast teams. I, how many of these East Coast Big Ten teams are able to travel to the West Coast? Like in terms of playing and having the money to afford to fly out, not just in like your mainstream sports, but like your smaller sports, like you're looking at baseball, you're looking at softball, volleyball, all these other small sports that are a part of the Big Ten and a part of these schools, how are they going to be able to afford to be able to travel across the across the United States in order to play? That is the larger topic that it's a very difficult conversation to have. Because you're getting really into what do athletic departments operate at. And for the most part, a lot of them operate in the red. Like that, That's not a, a defense of, oh, athletes shouldn't be paid or anything like that. But many athletic departments around the country operate in the red. But it comes into Title IX. It comes into making sure you have fair equity across all sports. So it is a legitimate challenge. But it's one that has to be addressed in some way before you're making these moves for expansion. But to your point, that could be an area where, let's put it this way, Eddie. If the option for Oregon or Washington, because I assume that's who you're referring to as, if they're only getting 50%, and that's money that they have to figure out how to allocate for a number of different budgets, who winds up getting cut on the chopping block? It's basically what I think you're going with there. And it's a fair question, but if the option is, Deal with that stress, which would be, again, it's a seven-year, $8 billion media rights deal in a partnership with CBS, Fox, and NBC. Each league member is expected to receive between $50 million and $65 million per year alone. So even at a cut rate with that, the money that Oregon and Washington 
would receive in theory in this hypothetical would be substantial enough that you almost have to take that life raft versus being without a home and having to deal with those same issues, but without this raft that you can cling on to from the Big Ten. Yeah, and like if you're scheduling this and depending on how many West Coast teams you add, you might just have to like real obviously there will have to be realignment but you don't have like penn state or maryland traveling all the way out to california to play ucla or usc and then from a conference championship standpoint when it comes basketball season does it is it still here in indianapolis do you try to find a middle ground for the teams out in the west coast and the teams that are midwest slash east coast like for conference tournaments or mm -hmm. for yeah i mean what ends up happening in my mind, right, is, and this is going to, I understand this is a big point of contention for Big Ten fans, and as an Indiana alum, I feel that, I understand, but it turns into a 2.0 or 3.0 version of what's happened already, which is tournaments are in Indiana, Chicago, Washington, like that. that's what it is right now, right? It's a rotating cycle of areas that balance out the conference, right? You have the Midwest, and then you have some East Coast love in there as well, it stands to reason there would be a rotation of adding in LA into that conversation. I don't think that is, that is outside the realm of possibility, but again, that's, I know a sticking point of frustration for some fans because now instead of having to make the journey to, which is still a far journey to DC, you're now having to go all the way across to the West coast and have to fight for tickets and everything else and hotel flights, nine. everything, Rental car, so food, gas. You can just live like I live, which is vicariously. <laughs> you can live vicariously through if you want, but this is not a good experience to live, which is often the best seats at home anyway. Now to be clear, if like listen, this would be a very, very rare occurrence in all likelihood, especially with the expansion. But let's say if like IU football made a Big Ten championship game, like you're gonna have fans that are gonna go to that. If, if like Iowa's a bad example because they were just there. But like if if Rutgers made a Big Ten championship game. Oh, wow. Like, I know. I know. That's a, I understand it's a massive leap. But like th that's that's going to have fan bases that want to make the push that the fans will still go. Same can be said for like Purdue. Correct. But in that same vein, you're, you're going to have fans that are willing to spend a go. But yeah, it doesn't make things any easier on the bottom line is, though, it's survival of the fittest within college athletics right now. And the Big Ten has had the foresight throughout this process to know it's either add or risk getting eaten. And to this point, they're safe and they are simply fishing for the next addition to their conference. It very well could be Oregon and Washington, but a lot has to play out beforehand. It would be at a discounted rate for a couple of years. And of course, the ball is squarely in Arizona's court. All right, I got to know. You teased something earlier. I did. How are you settling the draft order of the fantasy football league? I don't know. Is it the Cook League or you had that? Yeah, you had that immaculate tease. Yes. Uh, so one more thing on that, and our very, very often extraordinary with his Nuggets. Our boss Todd Meyer throws in there Big Ten hoops tournament this year in Minneapolis. So again, it's gone around. It's gone around the conference. It's made these tours. Would not surprise me if you're seeing it out in California in some regard in 2024 and beyond. But I will tease you one more time. We'll get bets and we'll How get what we're doing you. 
in the Cook Family and Friends Fantasy Football League for the draft order we come back. Bets, most importantly, though, on the Fan Midday Show. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. What a day it's been on the Fan Midday Show. I should start making a bingo card for these shows. Did not envision us referencing Orca Whales. Envisioned contract extensions for sure. Chick-fil-A sauce. Didn't think the Chick-fil-A sauce. I'll rustle it a little bit for the uh, radio audience, then show it to the YouTube chat. Shout out to Bernard Ryman for also being a fellow Chick-fil-A fan. Choking on ice. Yeah, did not anticipate that I would nearly die on air at the young age of 28 and Eddie for somewhat saving me. (laughs) I I will say from a content standpoint, I appreciate you giving the podcast audience the play-by-play of my death. That was kind of you. I appreciate it. (laughs) Thanks, thanks, friend. You're welcome. We teased a little bit Pal. ago, <laughs> bud. Uh, we teased a little bit ago in terms of what I've done in the past for fantasy football leagues for draft order. Some people just press the auto button, inverse yeah. standings, whatever. I like to go a little bit differently. A couple years ago, Indy 500 drivers was the way we went. Kentucky Derby, we did that once as well. And in 2018, we did something that I am bringing back once again here in 2023. Ooh. And that is now that the group stage is set for World the Women's Cup. World Cup. We will be drawing with our 12 team owners. We'll pull out a name from one hat with an owner's name. And then another name will be one of the remaining 16 teams of the World Cup. Of course, there'll be four left over, but that's how we'll do it. Obviously, it's furthest in the tournament would then have their choice. I like it. Tiebreakers, though. Goals scored, goal differential, all that. Eddie, does it get your stamp of approval? I like it, yeah. Unique. Um, The only thing I would say is like a fair chance. Like Everyone has an equal chance, but there are some pretty heavyweights, like Team USA, hopefully. There is. There's a, uh, which, that's a whole other thing, and Rake touched on that yesterday, but obviously a real battle for them with Sweden. They were inches away from getting sent home in the group stage. Oh, yeah. So it's not the lock that it was. Indeed. The last time we went through this. And again, in 2018, it was the Men's World Cup we did that for. But it's also good to be able to, in this first cycle since our league's been around, spread the love and have it centered around the Women's World Cup. So that's mine. Eddie, you went with inverse standings, correct? Am I right on that? Well, yeah, because it's a five player, but there's 12 of us. Okay. It's a 12-person, 5 See, I'm full player. redraft. I'm full redraft. I know you're not, I know you're and then I'm in a dynasty keeper. league, and then uh, the other, I think I'll be in two or three other ones, so I'll be in five in total. Uh, those are redraft. Can we ask total money? And, or, sorry, um, those are just standard, just randomized order. Total money? Unfortunately. That you're, no. Okay, you don't want to share? Okay. No. That's it's fine. It's less than 100. Okay, that's fine. I, I appreciate you at least giving us that much. Uh, getting back to cold stories of the day. No updates this point on DeForest Buckner. And again, as we touched on it, Michael Pittman Jr. playing it cool, as he should in terms of contract negotiations, because he plays a position where they always get paid as long as they're healthy. And even sometimes when they're not, they're able to get a nice deal set up. We'll give final thoughts on Colts camp in a second. But first, I have some bets. Maybe Eddie does too. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. 
Today's plays of the day. We'll start with baseball. It's been good to us two days in a row. Will it do so for a third day? We're going to lay one and a half on the run line on the Los Angeles Dodgers as they host the Oakland Athletics. We're also going to go back to the well for the Baltimore Orioles, plus 145 there against the Toronto Blue Jays. Going to take the Los Angeles Angels. First five innings, Eddie Garrison. First five innings with Shohei Otani on the mound against the Seattle Mariners. We're also going to take the New York Yankees. Nope, correction, fake out. The Houston Astros, I beg your pardon, on the money line over the New York Yankees. They begin a four-game set in the Boogie Down Bronx. Last but not least, Eddie, football is back. It's returned. It's with us. Give me the Jets to win on the money line. We got that advice from Jeff Schwartz. Take the better defensive coordinator. I'm going Robert Sala. Eddie, what do you got? I am also backing the Jets. That's one of my three plays for today. In this game, uh, Blue Jays, Orioles starts at 308. I'm taking the Blue Jays. First five minus half a run. Uh, And then I will be taking the Minnesota Twins on the money line. Two and two yesterday, by the way. That messy goal was too easy. Happened in the first seven minutes. He got another one, of course, as well. Do you have your record in front of you? Uh, This week? Yeah. 4-0. Man. There's no Brian No intro, though, today. There wasn't one yesterday. Well, I didn't have a pick yet. I you didn't, didn't have, have a pick yesterday. yesterday. Okay, so it's no. 4-0 through Monday and Tuesday, but no Brian No intro for Eddie Garrison. We'll see if he is able to overcome that. I'm at 6-5 and five on the week. Would like a little bit of separation. Hopefully that happens tonight. Again, Dodgers minus 1.5, Orioles money line, Astros money line, Angels money line, or Angels first five innings, I beg your pardon, and Jets money line. Again, no update on DeForest Buckner to this point. Special thank you to George Bremer, to Bernard Ryman, a fellow Chick-fil-A man, man after my own heart there, and David Kaplan, one of the very best. Always good to catch up with him. I'll be back in here tomorrow along with James Boyd and Eddie Garrison, but the Colts carousel, or as he referred to it, the soap opera, continues when we come back. It's the Ride with JMV. Keep it right here.